can't remember what it was that made me start thinking about this, but I started thinking about how long Berserk has been running. Like it's almost 25 years at this point. I started to think about what has happened over the past 25 years in like pop culture and, and media entertainment, all the different trends that have come and gone, all the different franchises that have come and gone in popularity. And Berserk has been like plugging away the whole time. It made me kind of realize that I think a lot of us, a lot of Berserk readers probably who read the series over a short amount of time and like a big purge of 30 volumes in a week or whatever, however quickly read it, like fail to appreciate how many different like ages of culture this series has been going through and how enduring it is as a series. I was thinking about 10 years ago, Lord of the Rings was the, you know, the, the fantasy mindset. That was what dominant Berserk had been doing that kind of shit for a while. And now we have Game of Thrones and political intrigue and garbage like that. Berserk was doing that 15 years before the, that series even came out, you know, five years before the, the novels came out. So all these things that rise in popularity and, and, and Berserk to me is like been the dominant, you know, fantasy work kind of working out wrong along in the background along kind of a, even a much smaller scale audience than uh, some of these other things that have risen in popularity and then fallen down in popularity. I just thought it was interesting. And I think that I think the series does often get taken for granted and ignored because we've talked about this before because of the stigma of the medium it's attached to. It's kind of like it's not taken as seriously because of the things that come around it within the genre itself. That being said, I think, you know, there's also a problem that pretty much people have no taste or no shitty taste, you know, in, the, in that. Like, I still have a hard time believing that, you know, a song of ice and fire gets taken seriously. I mean, people will just like, they like the TV series, and I'm sure 70% of the audience is not gonna read the books, but, uh, thing is, I don't, I don't think that series is that good. And, uh, <clears throat> it's popular now, but what will it be in 10 years? You know, it reminds me of Battlestar Galactica, which we were talking about earlier. Like, yeah. where are all the fans of it? You know, I mean, I'm sure there's some awkward guys still out there, but you know, mostly they're, they're just gone to the next big thing. It's a punchline mm-hmm. on the Big Bang Theory, basically. <laughs> is what oh, it amounts to. Yeah. And, legacy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, I think another part of it is it's not just a stigma to the medium. I mean, it's also just the fact that, I mean, relatively speaking, especially in Western culture, it's a very small medium. I mean, it's not something where it's not like Game of Thrones. It wasn't even that popular until it was on HBO. I mean, it had the HBO yeah. like marketing team behind it. And it's like it became a major television show that immediately had like high production values like that show was a big risk no one's really done that with berserk and i mean it's just it's just not likely because yeah it is you know relatively speaking a niche medium so in just the same way that the lord of the ring even though it's a similar work of you know fantasy but before they made the movies it was it was not that that big like it was big you know among nerds and stuff like that but it's a, it's, a, it's the movies who made it phenomenon it is now mm-hmm. so just like you know for harry potter and whatever people are just you know it's the power of marketing pretty much well what's funny is like yeah after the fact like lord of the rings it's like yeah those books were very famous fantasy works but i mean among the much smaller subset of fantasy works fans and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, everyone always had always read those. It's like the Bible. <laughs> it's number two. And it's like, really? I don't remember it being that way before, <laughs> you know, the year 2002. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think kind of tangential, but Lord of the Rings did have its time. They had a resurgence in the 70s and the late 60s, I think. I think yeah. my, my dad yeah. had read it, for example, which is crazy. And but uh, and then it came back because of the movies, of course. So, mm. But there had been yeah. – there was a generation that had read it. 
for sure. Yeah, there's also a global thing, you know, in, in like, like there's, there's going to be a population who has read it and, you know, the rest of the world, you know, at large might not have, you know. Mm. Yeah. And even though it was, you know, an, an English work, so there's also the fact Berserk is Japanese, you know, Japanese, right. it's, it's, you know, harder to get into and uh, the, the books like the Dark Horse stuff or, you know, the French one or whatever, they, they're all pretty lame, you know, they're, they're done cheap. So that also plays a role, you know, it's not something that I, I think Berserk's much bigger in Japan than it is, you know, like that's a, that's a given to say so, but like I think in Japan, the average person might have heard you know, he's more likely to afford of Berserk than, you know, some guy in the USA or whatever who will likely not. Yeah. Although that being said, that that exact statement, what you said, is in terms of Berserk's recognition, it's probably never been higher than it is right now in the USA. Yeah, thanks to those fantastic adaptations. Well, that's what I was going to say, though. I mean, it's probably a good thing, you know, that HBO isn't doing the live-action adaptation of Berserk because then we get, you know, like, I don't know, the... The Walking Dead of Berserk or, you know, something along the lines of these movies that would, you know, upset us. And, you know, even if it became popular, it would be, you know, your favorite band selling out and, you know, making terrible music that everyone likes. And you're like, no, it used to be so good. Yeah, I I guess like the point of me like saying this is is more like I'm just impressed by how long it's endured throughout all these different trends. And not so much that I, I feel like. The people have to know about Berserk. Like, you know, I'm comfortable with the audience it has, and I, I think Mira is as well. Probably wants a little bit more, maybe, but I mean, I'm fine with the size of the audience, honestly. Uh, I, if it got any bigger, as you say, to reach a mass population, you have to make concessions, and I'm not willing for the story to make those kind of concessions. Yeah, that's also the thing is that it, it, it doesn't, you know, like compromise itself, you know, right. like Mira's sticking to his guns and sticking to what he wants to do and what he likes to do, even though, you know, he often comments on it actually saying, you know, like, you know, nowadays, you know, action hero, heroes and such are, are less, you know, popular than they were before, you know, like, you know, virile men who just fight and stuff like that, and, yeah, even though it's not really done anymore, he still keeps, you know, doing it. And, you know, yeah, he just sticks to his stuff. And that's also why, that's why it's good, you know. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Berserk is a fighting series. It's got all these other things, but it remains, you know, a series about fighting at its core. And, yeah, that's some things that he keeps doing. And uh, he keeps doing well. I guess it was, I guess it was me rereading the series was what made me realize that. I just realized it was. Well, you know, just like, you know, you were saying earlier that, it's hard for you to get into, you know, the original Star Trek series because it's so old and so, you know, in some ways it's dated. And things that I can appreciate that, you know, it was done, you know, in that time and that the things it did at that time were revolutionary. And it's the same way, you know, like when I read, you know, uh, early Berserk volumes, you know, I can appreciate that, you know, yeah, this was done in fucking, you know, the 90s, you know, the early 90s. And, you know, at the time, you know, it, there was nothing really like it, and there's still nothing really like it, you know, to this day. And it, uh, how to say, it pioneered a, a lot of things, I think. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, you know, some things that I don't think, uh, how to say, recent readers can necessarily understand, you know. Like, they read the whole series, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. But they don't really get that, yeah, this was done, you know, 20 years ago. Right. And, I mean, I think it's also important to note that it's actually, I mean, relatively speaking, for what it is immensely popular. I mean, there isn't like a lot. It's not like that. Uh, what was uh, that video game that was posted with all the J-pop, you know, characters were going to fight each other. Like, 
Oh, uh, you mean the, yeah. the thing from Shonen Jump, yeah. You know, yeah, the Shonen Jump but... one. You know, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't fit that mold, you know, like, it, you know, those are sort of the competitors in that world, the heavy hitters, and Berserk is this totally different, you know, thing where, you know, it doesn't have like, I mean, it doesn't really even have a rival. I mean, it's sort of, you know, an anomaly. Yeah, it's completely and that, unique. And it's, yeah, and I think that's a testament to its quality, because, I mean, it certainly isn't like, you know, filling a, like a demand, you know, that's out there for, you know, this kind of thing. It's just, you know, really good at what it does. And people notice that. Cause I mean, I mean, it's, it's a franchise over there. It's a big deal. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, you know, the, you know, recent movie trilogy that was done is, is pretty bad. You know, you know, the fact remains that people actually, you know, went ahead and, and did a movie trilogy out of it. So, you know, I mean, there's an interest, even from marketing standpoint, from, you know, uh, company, you know, business standpoint, people know that this has, you know, potential and, uh, yeah, it's still a phenomenon. To, yeah. They're ready to invest in it. Well, yeah. And, and to capitalize on what you just said, to, to look at the returns on the first couple weekends of the first movie before its quality was really known, they were, they were pretty impressive. I think it reached number four in Japan, I think was the highest it reached. It was pretty. It was pretty impressive, given all the you know other options people have at the theater. So yeah, and it wasn't in too many you know uh, theaters. Uh, yeah, you know either. So it's not right. like yeah, it, it was pretty good. But yeah. Well, really, that's all I had to say. It was something I'd considered while I was reading through this, realizing that it does have the consistent quality, even in the early earlier times, uh, and to keep that quality, to keep that pace and that enduring quality over all these years. I'm trying to think of anything else like it. I mean, even independent of manga, I don't. I don't think there is some, anything like it. So, well, yeah, that's, going on uh, like thirty years, you know. I mean, yeah. twenty-five now, and then with the, 30, the like. same, the same writer. Like, no, not yeah. even comic books in general have that. Comic books switch no. authors and, and artists, and and have all the sorts of you know problems that come with that. You know, so anyway, it's not dissimilar. Everything I just said is from some of our earlier episodes when we're talking about. Uh, what, what makes us, what motivates us to read the series. So, I mean, I'm kind of just reiterating things I've said, but still pretty awesome stuff. Anyway, we'll move on, uh, to our reread. We have volume seven as, um, you know, there's no new episodes just yet. So we were just kind of chatting before, uh, and we're going to continue the rereads as long as it makes sense for us to do so. Um, Volume seven. I wanted to start by doing something I haven't done in the past, which is looking at starting with the cover. You know, oh, looking at the cover. Good. Yeah, good. <laughs> we always forget that halfway through. Like, oh yeah, we should talk about the cover. I was about to, you know, insist we do the cover first, actually. Sure. Yeah. It's it's one of the uh, more interesting covers in terms of. Well, I mean, Gus has a shield for one. Uh, I don't think he's <laughs> ever held a shield before. Uh, and also, did. yeah. The the pose is also a little interesting. For Casca, I don't know if I've ever seen her do anything like that before. Really, though, I mean, to me, the whole point, what I really wanted to say was that it it, it lends credence to this volume really being about them for in, in a lot of ways for the bulk of it. It is about their relationship and their development yeah. through the course of this whole thing. I, I didn't have a lot more to say about that unless you guys did. No, I, I mean, uh, as far as the shield goes, I mean – I think it just sort of it represents it's sort of the umbrella for everything like oh there you go yeah the hawks so that's I feel like that's how that's worked in there and yeah 
Casca has a weird pose for her because usually she'd be more like in a you know in a similar stance to Guts, but she's in this very sort of like feminine like you know cover girl kind of mm-hmm. kind of pose, which is you know I think this might be the first time we see anything like that for. Her. So I mean, it's definitely if you were reading this for the first time in the volume, it would give you maybe a weird expectation of you know sure. what you're going to read about her in here. It might you know. It's. I don't know if I totally like it, but I mean, it sort of immediately gives you an idea we're going to see a different you know, side of her, maybe a little more mm. femininity involved. It's uncharacteristic for sure. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get started on the actual volume. Um, we're still in the third part of Casca's flashback, which uh, talks about uh, her relationship with Griffith and how that influenced her uh, and how she grew as a person and really how she became, how she began idolizing Griffith uh, Mm -hmm. early on. And, you know, through that closeness with Griffith, you know, we, I I said this last time is we get a really interesting look at Griffith. He reveals sides of himself that he wouldn't do to his Mm -hmm. other subordinates. I mean, we have to assume he has not done so with his other subordinates because Griffith knows how determined and, um, uh, attached Griffith is to her. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I find interesting is that she's, she's pretty open and conscious of the fact she idolizes Griffith, you know, like, it's not like, you know, before the, before we, we could, you know, get the feeling that she's got just, you know, I don't know, a crush on him or something, but she, you know, Jose, she's not hesitant to say he was almost like a messiah to her, you know, she was completely devoted. I wondered about that. Yeah. The way she words it then, uh, back then I idolized Griffith. He was like a prophet or a saint. Um, she, I, I'm not trying to draw attention to the past tenseness of it, but what does that say about her relationship with him now? Is it different now? You know, she, she's not any less devoted to him now, but just, just yeah, like you she know, has the same, uh, oomph involved in it. Cause I mean, there's the relationship doesn't really, I think back then, like there was probably still the potential, of him becoming her lover in her mind, you know, there was still, you know, and I mean, it was just, she was younger and now she's probably, I don't know. It's just, it's sort of like life, you know, this sounds depressing to say, but you know, she's more like in the, the rut of the day to day of what, you know, her life has become, what she chose. Right. Right. She knows it's not going to get any better. You you know, I think, uh, you'd have to look at the original, you know, line because I'm not sure, I'm not sure the, you know, the past tense is necessarily translated, you know, or say properly yeah. here. I mean, I'm not sure it's supposed to imply that it's over, you know, that it was at mm-hmm. the time and over as opposed to it could be, you know, uh, you know, at the time or, you know, I don't know. In any case, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure it necessarily implies that, you know, what she felt as a, I don't think at, she doesn't worship him anymore. Yeah. I think she still does, but now it's more of a, like, it's more duty. I think it's right. more, you know, that in that I'm, sense. And that's all, that's all I meant was, I mean, even apart from that line, it's clear her relationship with Griffith has changed. Well, I mean, we get to that about how Griffith has yeah. changed and all that stuff. That's all I was really implying with mm. how she's saying that. Uh, it's certainly not over for her. It's just, it's different though from when it was, this was a little more idealistic, I guess, when she was younger. And, uh. Yeah, now it's a little more practical. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, what I also like about visually here is, you know, Mira is so good about this, about, Varying the armor types during these sequences. I like the fact that Griffith's armor looks like a patchwork. I mean, I, I'm not sure, I'm not an armor expert, but it looks like it's a, a couple different sets of armor kind of strapped together to make one. It, it could very well be Michael one Keaton's suit. Michael Keaton's Batman armor with yeah. like the, <laughs> the muscles on the chest. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's lacking <laughs> the Joel Schumacher nipples, thank God. Yeah, thankfully. 
they might just be covered by the <laughs> shoulder plates, though. So. But I mean, again, I'm not an armor expert, but just looking at it, it looks like a, a kind of a patchwork thing. Like, well, you know, you, you know, I think the arms and shoulder pads are, you know, uh, same because they're also, you know, yeah, a model of the muscles. But yeah, maybe there's the two plaques, you know, on each side which are put on top. I don't know if they're part of it or not. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, what, what's sure is that he's pretty good at, you know, through, through different times, you know, making the armor evolve to imply that Griffiths has been, you know, updating, uh, you know, upgrading his gear and, you know, stuff as, you know, the years went by. Actually, I mean, I would look at this armor in his history as, you know, people make fun of his armor for being like the, the foo-foo armor, but this is even more embarrassing <laughs> where it's like, it's basically like wearing a muscle shirt or something or a muscle suit, like a fake muscle suit. Trying to make yeah. himself look bigger and stronger than he is. This one looks, you know, this is kind of very, this armor is defensive in more ways than one. So. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's just, you know, I mean, at the time, you know. Yeah, it's just the were, style at the time to make him yeah. look, you know, he's this powerful leader and everything and it's to represent that. But I mean, it's just sort of funny for him since he's not like a big muscle guy, you know, he's yeah. obviously his strength lies in finesse. Well, the thing is, you know, I'm also not sure he necessarily had choice, you know, like maybe yeah. this was like a pretty good armor and, uh, yeah, it was just there lying in the corpse of the previous guy who had it and he just, you know, <clears throat> borrowed well, it. Also, that's an interesting choice because obviously Mura had a choice. So, I mean, it's interesting that he picked something for him here that doesn't necessarily, you know, yeah, completely fit his, character. Fit his yeah, the idea of his yeah. character because maybe this is just the best, you know, he had. Yeah, well, yeah, that's always, you know, how I saw it, that this was pretty much like, at the time, he just took what he could get. Yeah, yeah he didn't know, have, like, his own custom armor at the time to go with, yeah. you know, like a hawk yeah. motif. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And there's no helmet either, you know, he does not, he's never seen with a helmet in this era as well, as if he hadn't yet fully embraced, as you say, that the hawk motif, falcon motif yet, so... But the name of the, of the group had already been set, so he was heading there, he was getting there. Anyway, very early on in this, uh, we're given a scene uh, about this, the death of this young boy on the battlefield. Yeah. And it's one of those times where, you know, we've discussed it kind of like endlessly in the third or second Griffith podcast. But uh, for the purposes here, you know, Griffith as a leader, you know, has to remain as emotionless as, as possible. He can't let things, the tragedies like this pull him down. He can't lose sight of his dream. And his goals, but but here's a time where he really does. You can tell he's he's feeling the weight of his path, and yeah. that's kind of narratively what's going on. But I also like visually, really some some just really striking stuff happening on the the big page of Griffith. Uh, you get the shot of him in the sunset, yeah. standing over the body, and also have the his little portrait in the top left with the uh, the sunset and the clouds. Really. Mm. Awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah, just the setting sun and, you know, even the, the child's toy, you know, the broken toy and everything. I think visually it's, it's pretty, you know, strong stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, he, and he's clearly, you know, empathizing with the boy pretty directly, you know. So, you know, he's reading into the toy and thinking, you know, he wanted to be a knight and he remembers him. The boy yeah. even, you know, kind of resembles him, you know. Could, it, that could be him as a child. Hmm. Yeah, I had not considered that before, but you're right. I mean, he'd gaze at me as if I were the hero of some story. You know, he probably had. Yeah. I, can, I can totally see that, sure. Yeah, well, I also find his line of questioning interesting, you know, when he's wondering, you know, whether the boy is, you know, living his dream in death or whether it's the end of everything. I think it's interesting when you put that, you know, when you relate that to later on, you know, his choice, you know, during the yeah. eclipse and, and stuff like that, you know. 
And it's actually reinforced by what comes directly after, you know, what you discussed earlier on. Yeah. Right. During the bath scene. Yeah. Uh, Casco really has a, a knack for finding Griffith in when she's, uh, I don't know, otherwise occupied. She's basically stalking him. Essentially, <laughs> at night, just looking at windows. She obviously, she obviously she just happens to see him. I'm just drawing a parallel from Volume Six, where she happens to spot him when he's about to talk to Charlotte. You know, just one of these things. Mm. And get in, you know, like basically like creepy Santa, big beard, uh, not really wholesome look, kind of disturbing imagery with the all. He's basically you know a big cloud of darkness, putting his arm around Griffith. Why he's just a fucking pervert? You you can say it, man. Yeah, I'm gonna. He just he's he's a dirty old man. Like he's a prototype of a dirty old man. You know, he just you know bald, big bird, and you know, yeah, <laughs> this kind of yeah, like you say, this kind of cloak. You know. Yeah, I forgot we'd already skipped over the Ginnon part because we were talking about armor. But yeah, they, he'd already been introduced as someone that had an entourage of young boys, which is just yeah, really classy. And actually, well, you know, it's also, I think it's also meant to be realistic, you know. Sure. But, um, yeah, the thing I actually like also in that scene is the fact, you know, Casca is, you know, distressed about it because of what she experienced before. And Griffiths actually shows her kindness, you know, at the time. So, you know, just, it's that just before scene with the boy, I think it's meant to show some of his more human side, you know, and his more, say, like, you know, he had emotion and he cared yeah. for his for his man, you know, like despite everything and in spite of his, you know, what's the desire to be cold and, you know, distant from it all, like he's he still, you know, he was there for, for her and for them. Yeah, he empathized with her her yeah. problem. And he actually what's interesting about that to me, him putting his arm on her as if he knew what she was going through, as if he had already done the mental yeah. you know, g- gymnastics yeah. to get to where she was, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably yeah, where she yeah. was in her headspace. I think that's that's a point of it. But also right. it's interesting to like even though he did that, at the same time he you know, Jose I don't think he necessarily had a problem with the boys or the baron or anything like that, you know. Like he he's going to, you know, reassure her but you know, like this kid's getting raped, yeah, well, you know, that's life. That's yeah, yeah. that's how the world is. He right. has a very cold like sort of view on that. Well what's interesting to me though is all this is that he can actually, you know, he can relate to both sides, you know, sort of this like cold aristocracy that he's trying to, you know, rise to, which mm. he knows is impossible. And, you know, he came from the same place, you know, all of his men did too. So that's why he, you know, feels for that boy and, you know, he understands Casca's, you know, pain and everything. So it's interesting that he's not, you know, he's sort of in between worlds at this point and he's sort of trying to ascend. And, I mean, he becomes sort of, I mean, he has to be an asshole in a sense. Like you said, he can't get caught up in, like, you know, small-time, you know, crusades. Like, you know, it's wrong what he's doing with these boys or anything, you know, for, you know, obviously, politically, that would not be good for him. And so it's interesting that he sort of on purpose has to become this cold, uncaring guy. But, you know, we can see that he, you know, he does care. He does understand all these things. He's not like the nobles who just, you know are totally blind to all this stuff. In terms yeah. of him being in between those those two, you know, issues with him, I, I think he's like that until the eclipse, really. I mean, he's always juggling between those two things. Yeah. <clears throat> but, I mean, later on, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess the last time he expresses sort of doubt, you know, other than when Guts leaves is when he asks him, you know, 
if what right. you know, if he's terrible because you know they killed all those people and they're holding you know little girls hostage, <laughs> it's right. like yeah, you are kind of objectively terrible. But you know, <laughs> we understand that you've got a very hard to reach ideal, which is why you kind of have to be an asshole. We understand. Yeah. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you that's know, the a, way it is. The price of ambition. Yeah. And Guts is very surprised by what Casca relates to him. He's uh, in several panels of shock on his face uh, on this page. I guess he was just surprised that Griffith would go that far, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't have been that surprised, honestly. I, I guess it more has more to do with Griffith's character that he was surprised by, that he would yeah. do that. Yeah, I, see well, I mean, he just, sort you know, of sees Griffith as a sort of idealistically too at this point obviously i mean he just swore his sword to him like he's you know he was he was sort of in the same place with him that casca was Mm. all those years before until the fountain scene you know that disillusioned him and then we have this where you know in a sense griffith is sort of you know coming down to earth in his eyes but i also think he's probably relating to the fact that you know he had a similar experience but it was not by choice Mm -hmm. yeah he probably has a hard time you know wrapping his mind around that yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think what he does though is pretty telling. Just you know the fact that you know Griffiths, he he can't imagine that Griffiths would you know like you know stoop that low. Just you know, yeah, like somebody who's as you know proud as him, you know. And uh, but yeah, he was wrong. He could also be homophobic, like in another sense, <laughs> because this was this was a consensual act between adults. And guts might just say like, ew, you know. what I mean, you know. It probably, you know, there isn't that opinion either way in here, but it is. It, it would seem to make sense for the time and. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's really, you know, I don't think that. I mean, it's nothing like that is expressed, but Guts is clearly yeah. disturbed by it, and it's open no, to I mean, interpretation. Why? To elaborate well, a little bit more, Guts yeah, has already told him that the old guy lacked, you know, little boys. So I think that's, you know, I yeah, mean, that that's the part of it that would. It's disturb not. Him, it's not pictured as a loving relationship or anything like that, oh. you know. Yeah. Especially since they know Griffiths is currently after the princess, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting Griffith invites her in the, whenever Casca finds him bathing, uh, you know, Griffith invites her in, which obviously is kind of a faux pas for her with her feelings towards Griffith. But he asks her, am I, uh, unclean or am I dirty? And she starts to say no and then she hesitates, you know, clearly revealing, uh, how she's conflicted about what she just witnessed. You know, she wants to, Know a little bit more about you know how it happened. I, I just like that she hesitated before she said no. She didn't give it the, the full on no. You're not, but she's starting to question it herself. Mm. And then she starts wondering about you know explaining. He explains why. Uh, I don't know if like walking through this whole scene, but I mean kind yeah. of uh, going through what we've discussed before is. I think this kid triggered. Uh, how did I word it before? Existential anxiety in Griffith about what his purpose is. And people were dying for his cause, uh, and that tied him closer to the path that he needed to be on. And he couldn't give up now. It made everything, uh, it made the weight of his path, uh, even, even heavier, the more that it affected him. And the kid, yeah. uh, the night with Griffith, uh, the night with Ginnon was basically kind of, a, it, was, it was a shortcut in one sense, but also it was Griffith wanting to, uh, be hurt by that as well. He wanted to be able to experience some of the, the pain that others went through. He didn't yeah. want to have to go through without be, feeling nothing. 
Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's a way for him to feel the weight of his ambition and the responsibilities yeah. that comes with it. And yeah, that's what I said earlier when I said the, the kid, you know, like his speech, you know, when he finds a boy, you know, directly ties into that, you know, like the responsibility of his man's death, you know, he, he chooses not, like, he chooses to, he refuses to, you know, allow himself to feel guilt for the death, but at the same time, he wants, to do anything to, you know, would say to achieve victory on his own hand in order to make their death have, you know, to give their death meaning. So it's right. actually, it's interesting because that really ties directly into the logic that Ubik, you know, uh, and Conrad uses, you know, yeah. during the, the eclipse to, you know, convince him to sacrifice, you know, it's actually what leads him to sacrifice. So, you know, the seed is planted at that time in, the, in his mind, you know, that's what plants it, you know, like the fact, you know, death happens on the battlefield and he won't allow himself to be weighted down by that. But at the same time, he'll do everything, including, you know, um, sacrifice himself in, in that way with Ganon in order to make their death, you know, meaningful. And also, I mean, the irony is that, like uh, Walter said, it ties him even more to the dream so that he cannot stop. You know, I mean, it's yeah. you could be self-serving or you could, you know, you could feel sorry for him or it's like, well, that's a convenient, you know. <laughs> interpretation of why yeah. you have to keep getting people killed <laughs> because you've already gotten people killed and so you know so it's not a waste you got to continue yeah there's two sides to it and the thing is you know in any case he focuses on on himself and his dream like you know yeah you know you know he could you know like uh, i imagine uh you know a leader of man in battle you know yeah he feels the pain of his man's death you know and but griffiths you know chooses to deal with that pain in a very peculiar way that's tied to his dream so it's really all about the dream you know once more you know once again with him so yeah yeah it's pretty peculiar what i find I really interesting like, about this scene oh sorry well i was just gonna say visually I, re I really like how it transitions uh you see griffith uh in in the light uh at, at first with the hair swept around his back still has very pale skin and as it progresses it gets a little darker. The shading becomes a little more intense. The cross hatching becomes more intense. Yeah. And the look on his eyes, and this may as well be Femto's face, uh, for, for the rest of the scene. The shots of his eyes and. Yeah, well, it's one of those shots where he's, you know, how to say, uh, not very child, you know, boyish and more, yeah. you know, it's more the evil Griffiths, the cold one, than, you know, in the shot where he says, you know, he did it for money, you know, it's very, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. He's got this very, it's like a predator, you know, it's like, it's pretty much like a, a raptor, you know, falcon, you know, it's exactly that, that kind of look, you know. <clears throat> I mean, it's just, I think it just represents sort of the, all the, I mean, literally the darkness and all this, you know, it's not just the, the evil, but also, you know, his pain, yeah. you know, coolness. all that, yeah, all those, all those sort of deep, dark, you know, depressing kind of feelings, you know, that go along with this life and, you know, what it sort of stirs and, you know creates but what i found interesting about this whole scene is just how sort of open he is with casca i mean this i don't yeah. think we ever see them have a more open conversation is you know when he literally like says to her like oh is it because you know i'm too you know i'm dirty now and the water's dirty it's very you know it's just not something like i can't think of any other conversation where they'd be that frank with each other <laughs> especially him talking to her that way yeah, it makes Where you wonder like, about why he chose this moment to open it. it probably because he was feeling yeah. vulnerable himself after the after And that. ashamed, yeah. you know, for other reasons. Like, he he does feel ashamed, but not yeah. because of that. Yeah. 
And one of the other things is, you know, like that was before Guts had joined the, you know, the band of the Falcon. And at the time, Casca was his right arm, you know. I mean, she yeah. still is, she still is later on, but Guts has taken her place as his confident, you know. And that's maybe the kind of talk he would have with him, you know, same way he later on asked him if, yeah. like, he's a bad person. Well, you know, at the time, Casca was a person closest to him. And so, you know, it makes sense that she'd be the one he'd confess to, you know. And yeah. it's also the fact she's a woman. So yep. there's no, there's less shame, I guess, from his point of view in confiding to a woman about that kind of weakness that there would be. You know? Yeah. T- talking, you know, about it to judo, I don't know. It might, he, he might, you know, for him feel like he was, you know, <clears throat> how to say, showing too much weakness and losing authority. Well, it's, it's very simply, she's not one of the guys, even though she is part of their group. She's not. I mean, she's a woman who has obviously has feelings for him, and I'm sure he knows that. So he can confide in her without consequence, basically. In addition yeah. to that, he is feeling vulnerable and weak at this point. So <clears throat> it makes sense that he'd open up, but you're right that it does give us a very striking look into him. Now, I always say this scene is like one of the, one of the few looks at the real Griffith. The, the well, man beneath he, the man. What's, the ma- what's his, Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, we haven't said it yet, but I mean, very obviously what this scene is doing is talking about kind of the mask that he has to create to, to become the leader he needs to be, to the yeah. kind of person he has to create himself to be, to endure, be, to become that leader. That being said, I think it's just, you know, like, I don't know if we could say that this is a real Griffiths, you know, like, it's a part of him that he keeps mm-hmm. buried, but, you know, it's just a, a part, you know, and what I find interesting is that, you know, when Casca reaches and grabs him and hugs him, you know, like he very quickly, the moment passes, you know, and he reverts back to, you know, the old, you know, Griffiths, like the user Griffiths and, you know, just, you know, his hand on her shoulder and, you know, yeah, it's back to being normal. So, but that's like, like to me that, that emotion, that, that face, these feel, all those feelings are the rest of his face and the rest of his emotions are our deflection from how he's really feeling, you know, it's like, well, a, it's like, yeah. a, it's like a guardian, it's a guard or it's a yeah, armor. Yeah. I, I understand what you mean, but I, 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 you know, what I want to say is you can't say, I don't know. It's not like this is completely, you know, fake. You know what I mean? Like it's a mm-hmm. face he, he puts on, but you know, it's also the persona he created for himself and he's, he's stuck to it, you know, in the end. So my sure. point is, you know, he, he hid his weakness. His weaknesses, maybe even, but you know, uh, it's also a part of you know who he is. Yeah. Well, I was the last time what I thought was interesting here. Good. When she, you know, if you were talking about the dark imagery, and obviously, you know, he is he continues to be dark in these panels until she touches him at the bottom of that. Then he's you know back to being this sort of pure white, you know. So I mean, mm-hmm. you can see something in that, but also there's the moment of choice here where she's holding him. It's very intimate, very physical. She's shivering, holding him. And the, just the side panels on uh, the page where he turns around and tells her, you know, oh, you know, and sort of dismisses the whole thing. It's no big deal. We see, you know, her holding him, you know, we see, you know, in the top panel, he's got this expression like he's sort of exhaling. Yeah. And then he sort of catches himself and has to guard himself. And it's like he's making a choice here because his hand, you know, his hand takes hers. And this could, you know, this is sort of the moment where their relationship is, I feel like, sealed forever. <laughs> Where it's like, you know, it's not going to go anywhere else, you know, and he turns around, he's caught himself, and he has to make a choice that, like, you know, he well, can't be like a normal man, he can't have a life with Casca, you know what a, I mean? You know, that's an interesting uh, <clears throat> interpretation, but, you know, I, I don't really see it like that. I mean, the thing okay. is, to me, well, you know, I mean, 
You know, I agree with what you said about, you know, like that look at, on, on his face. You know, I, I, I see it as a way, you know, a look of determination, you know. Yeah. yeah. And to me, it's more like I'm not sure he really ever intended to have a life with Casca, you know, very honestly. Like, she, well, she I don't was, think he intended to, but it's just one of these things where in the moment, this is, you know, a scene, you know, when a man and a woman get this intimate, this might be a moment where they get, they share, they get a deeper connection, but instead he kind of cuts her off. Yeah, well, like, yeah, I, I can, I can see that, you know. I just, well, you know, to, to me, the way I interpret it is more like, you know, he catches himself, and it's more like, you know, he's he's making a choice, but it's more about, you know, himself, you know, like yeah. who he's going to be, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, the way I don't think you guys, you guys aren't disagreeing. You guys are saying the same thing. Yeah. She, she addresses it on the next panel. I mean, she says the Griffith that turned around had the same face as he ever yeah. was, as if. The development, the emotions they'd just been through were, were wiped aside and he basically res- reset it to his default face. You know, their relationship continued as it was, you know? Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, yeah, yeah, well, I can agree with that. Uh, w- one thing I wanted to talk about before we advance, I know we spent a lot of time on the scene, but it is pretty critical. Um, last time we talked about this was we were kind of puzzled about the, the action, about his actual uh, tearing of his skin on his arms. We probably could have pinpointed a reason why uh, if we'd still seen a little longer. But, I mean, visually it makes sense because here's this cool, calm, and collected guy otherwise totally, you know, destroying himself basically, uh, drawing blood on his arm, surely would create scarring, all these all these things. It, it makes sense visually for a character who's in this state to do that. I mean, but aside aside from that – well, it also shows his emotional pain, I think, and his distress, you know? Totally, totally. And what's interesting is, you know, he's not, like, you know, he's not ripping his arm off, you know, thinking back that, you know, he got, you know, a sexual relationship with Ganon, you know, which must have been quite, you know, humiliating for him. But he's, you know, doing it when he thinks about his man's death and the responsibilities that, you know, hangs on his shoulders. So it's, yeah. you know, something which I find interesting about his character, you know, what he puts importance, importance on, you know, and what doesn't. Like, you know, the physical relationship, it's probably, I mean, it was, you know, clearly not, you know, uh, pleasurable for him, but, you know, it's not what's weighing him down, you know, not in the way that, for example, getting raped, you know, was a big deal to Guts, you know. Well, I guess Guts was younger, so it's a bit different, but it's interesting about Griffiths, he's worth thinking, you know, what counts and what doesn't count. No, that's a, it's a definitely a good point. I, I hadn't considered that throughout all this whole ordeal, he doesn't focus only right on the physical aspects of what happened to him at all. It, it's it's yeah, really the, the price that he paid, and that's what we see on the on the. Yeah, he's just for, for him. It's just a, a currency, and it's actually it's reflected. Yeah. You know, when he meets again with Ganon, Ganon is, is you know he's like, oh, what we shared and whatever. And Griffith is very cool with him, and you know he offs him. You know, emotionally, and, and I think, you know, it's not like he just contained his anger or anything like that. I think he really didn't, didn't care much for the guy, you know, like, mm-hmm. that was then, yeah, this is now. I was being honest, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, also, he was being cruel in his honesty. Like, he, he yeah, knew that hearing that would decimate, you know, again, yeah. in his last moments, you know. It works so. on multiple levels. Right. Yeah. But it was pure it's honesty. Like he's- He's getting his comeuppance, you know, and his, and Griffiths is getting his victory, but it's even sweeter because he's not gonna, you know, yeah. he's not even, he's not gonna tell him, oh, what you did to me, you'll pay, you know, I mean, he's not gonna lower himself again, you know, to that guy's level. Yeah. That being said, Azil, you said earlier that, you know, it probably wasn't a, a pleasurable ordeal. Ginnon could have been a very tender lover. You don't know. 
Well, he actually yeah. was acting yeah. kind of tender towards him at that. Yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he, he might, he might have, you know, he might be more givers than a taker. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Who knows? We should have, we should have as a kid, you know? <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, you know, yeah. children, yeah. Well, children always tell the truth, you know, the saying. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Wow, yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Comes out of the mouth of children, mouth of babes, <laughs> you know? Mouth of babes. <clears throat> well, yeah, moving on. Yeah. Uh, Casca says she'll become his sword. And, <laughs> yeah. I didn't actually have much to say about that. I didn't have much written down about that. But yeah, we'll go ahead and get back. But I, I find it interesting that, uh, you know, Casca, how to say, she's very conscious about the weight that hangs on Griffith's shoulder because of the size of his, you know, ambition. <clears throat> like, it's, you know, I don't want to quote Spider-Man, but, you know, his dream is so big that, you know, there's a lot of weight that comes with it, you know. And so he wanted, you know, she wanted to be, you know, like he saw, you know, the thing he could rely on. And, uh, well, of course she was disappointed, you know, when Guts came in because Guts took up that role and, uh, and he changed Griffiths. At least that's how she, she saw it. Uh, that's, you know, that's pretty interesting because, uh, very, again, she's, she's very honest to Guts about that, you know, like she freely admits that she was jealous of, you know, the importance Griffiths placed on him. And, yeah. you know, she, she also says, you know, one thing I find interesting is she says she doesn't care if he dies, but she doesn't want him to damage the band of the Falcon or, or the dream, you know, Griffith's dream. So, yeah. I, I, that's interesting because it, it gets, it plays out, you know, like guts, you know, there's, there's a, you know, what spots it back to her, you know, shortly thereafter. So I find it interesting. Well, it's especially interesting because Guts, you know, unknowingly, you know, she says, like you said, very directly, like, yeah, I felt like I was important until you came along. And he, you yeah. know, unknowingly usurped her role, but also he doesn't know the importance of the role, you know, yeah. as she defines it. As she, you know, she, you know, she understands, you know, Griffith's dream and why she has to conduct herself a certain way as his, you know, right-hand person. And Guts yeah. does not. He doesn't even know he's, you know, got this job or that Griffith has given it to him. He's just, you know, act, he's just acting. He's reacting. He's yeah, doing he, what he does. He, he's oblivious to it. And yeah, yeah. He, he actually stays oblivious to it until the, the end, you know, like even at yeah. the, you know, the wonderful scene, she still, you know, has to tell it back to him again because he doesn't realize when he leaves, he doesn't realize, you know. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's something that's interesting. He, he doesn't yeah. get it because that's not, you know, it's almost like a, and it's not like a thing where he doesn't care or he, he's dumb. It's just something where he doesn't, you know, he's a, he's oblivious to it almost because of like a low self esteem, you know, like right. he doesn't yeah. think, you know, oh, I can't be that important, you know, Griffith, you know, thinks he's so much better than I am and I need to go prove myself. I mean, he just doesn't realize, you know, the irony that he really was that important. Yeah. And well, the it's thing how uh, it's how he regards himself too at the end of the volume. Yeah. I mean, he just yeah. sees himself as a, a really strong warrior and a guy that can swing his sword in the battlefield. He doesn't think much of himself beyond that. And obviously he means much more to everyone else, but he doesn't see it like that. But he, no. like you said, he, he wandered into his role inadvertently and he treats that role irresponsibly, which is explains for both of those things, explain Casca's, you know, jealousy and, and feelings against him at this time. Well, the thing I is think also- a part of it is, uh, that Guts doesn't understand it because he doesn't really, he doesn't really, just like he doesn't sort of, he's, you know, like the nobility and all that stuff is sort of invisible to him. I also think he also, you know, doesn't see like the idea of his responsibility to Griffith mm. other than what he wants to do for him and vice, or, you know, what Griffith can make him do and what he's sworn to do. It's sort of this thing where it's like in Casca, 
she's defined this invisible sort of, you know, <laughs> position as Griffith's sword. And Guts, you know, even if even with Casca explaining it to him, it's like he just doesn't, you know, see the world that way. Well, yeah, yeah. I think one of the biggest reasons is that Gus is just not, like, it's just not who he is, you know, like he, he shows how different he and Griffiths are in that, you know, Gus himself doesn't, doesn't need anyone, you know, like, you know, to, to, you know, I mean, at that point he would just, you know, I, I think he just can't conceive that somebody who's as strong and smart and brilliant, you know, as Griffiths, you know, would need somebody to re- rely on, you know, and so, so some right. things that just doesn't, you know, compute to him because that's not how he, how he is himself. <clears throat> Which also is, you know, due to the way he was raised, you know, I mean. Uh, during this whole reveal with Casca, you know, there, she's, she gets on top of him, shits her hands on his chest. They become, it's a very intimate looking moment for them. And then really it's just showing uh, how closely they, they, they become uh, throughout this whole talk. And they don't necessarily have a moment or anything. Although there is a panel at the top of a page where Guts has a kind of little sweat drop and can't quite tell what is happening in his head. Probably just processing what she has just said. But yeah, I, I think wonder. he's also. I think he's also a bit, maybe a bit embarrassed that she's, you mm. know, or to say, you know, like told him all that stuff, you know, like gotten it off her chest, you know, like she's she's crying, you know, from it and everything, and well, he's just, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's paralleling the the scene with Griffith, you know, in one sense, you know, she's, you know, opening up to him about these painful things. And he's just sort of he's standing there taking it. Although I think, you know, because the scene is interrupted, I don't think he's just embarrassed looking that way. I also think, you know, he's he's feeling the weight of his feelings, her feelings, everything he's learned, you know, I mean, and I think knowing him, he would probably respond to her, you know, more warmly, more openly, more, you know. Honestly, he wouldn't cut her off. You know, he's, I think he's considering things are changing, you know, and it's like worrying yeah. him. And then luckily for him, he hears, you know, some clumsy soldiers coming through and like they have a little humorous moment here where, uh, he just yeah, it's her supposed down. to be like a, like a hilariously almost blowjob thing, or is it just him ducking her head? Well, that, he's I, just ducking her head, but you know, it's, it's unclear what she thinks he's doing. Yeah, exactly. She might just be exactly. reacting like, what the hell are you doing pushing me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, but it's you know, well, it's intended to be to be comical, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's like he's you know, he, he's a guy. This would be like if he was a guy having an inappropriate emotional response, you know, to a woman, you know, crying on his you know chest. <laughs> and uh, in any case, I I always thought thought the the pacing was pretty good, you know, as far as like you said, you know, like. He would have probably replied something, but you know, it's, you know, the perfect time to interrupt the moment, you know, and, you know, keep yeah. the momentum, keep, keep it going. I find it pretty great. You know, I think yeah, it's really, keep it hanging. really great pacing, you know, and, uh, of course we, we just cut to the, these morons, you know, on a search, you know, for, for the guys. <laughs> they really look like morons too. <laughs> yeah. They are just, you know, they really, really, you know, look the part. Even their armor is stupid. It's like they're wearing, you know, it's like they have the themed armor. Like, oh, this is the snake armor. This is the skull armor. Here's the moron armor. <laughs> yeah, he's a dumbass armor, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, that long uh, visor the guy has kind of makes me think it might be a proto-locust. <laughs> yeah. <Probably>. This was <laughs> him in his former life. He became way cooler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm the great knight, undefeated in battle. And you know what? That one guy who's wearing what almost looks like a foot, an old style football helmet. Yeah. Kind of yeah, looks like I, the apostle that picks up, uh, Sonia and is gonna eat her before, uh, Irvine interrupts. Maybe all these guys, you know. 
Well, they just got this Marin look about them, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, you My know, favorite, sure. though, is the guy with the bug helmet. <laughs> yeah. It's really one of Gira's specialties is making people look really like a dumbass, basically, when he wants to. The average yokels in this story. Well, he's yeah. great. It's sort of, it's like casting those those extras with really interesting features. Think like uh, back in the day before he got a little more famous, like Danny Trejo, like, you know, the lines and the face, you know, and everything. Yeah. Like, so it's like he, he, he loves those kind of, you know, faces. Mm-hmm. And he works them in whenever he can. There's this uh, three-page exchange with Guts and Casca where she's kind of fallen down on the job and he's chastising her for being a woman. But, you know, he's being harsh with her, but it's really – he really – he just knows how to motivate her. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he gets he's, her back on her feet. Yeah. There's this, yeah, look on, there's this knowing look on him on the next page where, you know. Yeah. I actually what, really like uh, that scene, you know, like the fact, yeah, he he's harsh to get her going and he, he has this little smile, you know, when when she gets back up, you know. I find it pretty, you know, it's, it's again, it's almost touching to me. Yeah, and I, I also think it shows like he's sort of acting like he would have, you know, like they would have acted towards each other before. But he is acting now. Now it is like a put on because they did have that, you know, that moment that you know was interrupted. And yeah. because it was interrupted, he can still sort of do this. But uh, you know, it's 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 a put on. It's a fake. You know, they're just he's just trying to get them through. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I didn't have a lot more to say about Adon uh, and his little long intro, but. Uh, getting directly and getting directly into the fight. Uh, I was just I'd laughing at the panel of him introducing himself, doing the Zod hand of all things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting really close to that gross face of his too, and the missing teeth and the split lip, all this fantastic looking stuff. And also, I mean, it's it's worth saying that Which guts doesn't guts actually comments on, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth it was worth saying that guts is not treating this seriously, and in fact doesn't treat it seriously toward, till towards the very end of it. You know, yeah, he uh, despite the danger. Yeah, he he's just some comic relief with Casca and everything. He's pretty, you know, like he's pretty confident, you know, because he knows Adam is a loser, you know. Yeah, uh, I've said it before a couple times in the series, but. Uh, I, I use this word a lot to describe Mira's action sequences, like this kinetic motion they have. It's really highlighted in this scene. Uh, yeah. Throughout, throughout the, you see Guts' sword is kind of bending with the movement, you know. There's a lot of cool uses like that where the sword appears to bend and the foreground elements will be in like really sharp focus, but, you know, external things will be in, in blur if they're, if they're in motion. Uh, yeah. It's really clever because it, it kind of parses through uh, the imaging, if you're trying to make sense of what's happening, it makes it easier for readers, but also because he knows these compositions are becoming more complex with more different types of armor and more people on screen. It's a way of distinguishing what's happening on screen, and it's really cleverly done. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the scene of him kind of hitting ideas. the two guys is yeah. really impressive. Like, just the, I mean, that could be a total abortion, you know, like trying to capture emotion this way. Yeah. And I mean, it just, it really does a good job of showing the movement and like you said, showing focus in certain areas, you know, on guts and on the guy being hit. But obviously they're moving in two, you know, slightly different directions. And then you have the other guy who's in front and he doesn't have the motion on him at all. You know, he's sort of, you know, differently in focus. And it's, right. yeah. it's really sort of brilliantly done. Yeah, the, the, the dynamism of, you know, of it all is pretty crazy actually. And that, and that goes for that whole fight. <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, one of the things I, I find pretty great in this is, uh, is a duo of Gus and Casca, you know, when they fight, you know, I think it's pretty badass and 
to me, it's one of the coolest parts in the series, you know. I actually think, you know, I, I, I hope we'll get to see more of it, you know, at some point in the future, you know, and I, I don't think Mira's gonna be able to resist it, you know, like Mirror in that fight, you know, I think it's gonna, it's gonna happen, it's gonna be done, you know. That'd be great, yeah. It's, it's, she, she fights with her own style, obviously, she doesn't have gut strength, so. She goes for weak points and armors and, you know, you know, yeah, actually, actually, I think people often, you know, like overlook her fighting techniques, you know, and, uh, you know, the, you know, it's pretty interesting, you know, it reminds me of, uh, of the ones Guts used in the short flashback with Cheech, you know, when he fights, I guess, the, the fat dude, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in that they are based on actual, you know, fighting techniques was that were used at the time, you know, like fighting, you know, using weak points and stuff like that. So, yeah, I find it pretty interesting, actually, and it's some of the most clever, you know, more clever, you know, stuff we get to see in that fight, you know. I, I really like it, actually. It kind of goes without saying, there are, there are a lot of these great moments where Guts has creative ways of taking out, you know, multiple enemies. Think, the kind of stuff we see uh, when he's fighting the bugs in Volume 15 and also, again, in Volume 18, fighting against the Kushans, like, launching himself up in the air, taking them by surprise... Yeah, a sword through the guy's mouth. All these really cool. Using yeah, his more bees, you of, know, uh, to take them. Yeah. More of these crazy shots. Like he's, you know, it's like he's upping the ante in every, you know, episode. You know, now he's got a motion shot where we see him swing down and kill one guy, and in the same shot, you can see him swinging up and cutting the head off another, and you know, in sort of a dual combo motion. Yeah, and yeah, these shots almost look, these motion shots almost look like they've had like a motion filter put on them. He, he did such a good job drawing them. It definitely made this section of the series one of the most difficult for the kill roster, for sure. <laughs> um, we get, uh, as the fight progresses, obviously Guts and Casca aren't being perturbed at all by swarms of enemies. Uh, so Aidan tries to introduce his brother, Samson, who's wearing, quote-unquote, three times armor plate, which is, how does that guy <laughs> even get around from place to place? Like, he must That's have, like, a dude. <laughs> Why well, he's a fucking giant. I mean, when you see him, you know, like even next to, you know, Aiden is already pretty big, you know, but yeah. you know, Samsung is fucking, you know, he's one of these this guys. He's like an apostle. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, and he's got his garish armor, you know. So, <laughs> you know, he, he fits the prototype of guy. He's like Bazuso and, you know, Zonda. And the armor was that. already garish too. So for his to be extra garish. Yeah. So also the, impressive. The, the thing is, yeah, he's one of these guys that would be terrifying and, you know, like, invincible to any other guy. But for Gus, he's just a, a fat fuck to, you know, to off in just, you know, he's a spectacular motion. in, you know, some novelty armor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you know, all these guys. But, uh, yeah, he's pretty, you know, he's pretty unique looking and pretty huge. Oh, I mean, also, the, the, on the page before Samson, there is a shot that mirrors the cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's a little more natural, the pose for Casca and, you know, Guts. And obviously no shield, but, uh, yeah, it does sort of capture that moment. And I actually like, you know, there's one thing I like in that, yeah, even though you said, you know, that Guts and Casca are not, you know, uh, bothered by the swords of enemy, well, we still see that Casca is, you know, straining, like, you know, she's she's still sick, and so she lacks, you know, the stamina to, you know, keep fighting. And Guts is actually the one that puts his back to her, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a, a little touch, you know, and he just, you know, he looks, you know, stern and he's like, it's just business for him, but she notices and, you know, there's these little scenes, reaction, you know, uh, faces from her, and, you know, I, I like these little touches, you know, yeah. the fact, you know, like it's, uh, they're fighting together and they're in it together and, you know, even though Casca's accused Guts of, 
just, you know, only thinking about himself and not caring about others. Well, you know, it's also one of these things where she notices that it's not the case, you know. Yeah, right. and she doesn't even realize at first how much he's considering her because she's thinking just to herself, you know, like, you know, she's she can't move much longer and what is she going to do? And, you know, Guts is already – he knows that too. He can just tell. So he's already putting himself in position to protect her. Yeah. It, you know, she's going to have the realization a little bit down the line. Another thing I'm noticing here is Samson's – even his shield has like these four, you know, sword-like spikes coming yeah. out of it. It's really yeah. over the top. Yeah, it's just completely, you know – yeah, actually, the shield remind me of Grumbelt's shield, you know? <laughs> yeah, I had the same thought. <clears throat> I mean, the most you can say about Samson is that he did probably did a lot of damage to Guts' sword, you know, more than anything, yeah. about anything yeah. else in this fight. Of course, so. well, that's why that's why it breaks, you know, when yeah. he fights Boscon later on, you know? That's pretty obviously because of Samson, you know? Yeah. And I love the the first deflection of the ball and chain smacks this guy in the face, and there's this, yeah. this disturbing damage done to him. <laughs> Which you can you can sort of see like the implied motion and then the sound effect that would make. It's just it's pretty well done. Also the the light sourcing whenever he's striking these each of these shots is really cool. Yeah. I like the idea of that. What what's great, you know, is that you know on the panel before it you know hits the guy's head. You yeah. know he actually sees the ball ricocheting and he's like, eh, what what's happening? And bam, yeah. <laughs> in the face. So <laughs> it's really you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things where, you know, Mira inserted a, a tiny element in that part of the panel, and then and, and it's kind of like you see it highlighted. It's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I was kind of wondering about, uh, well, I mean, we'll just, we'll just get to the point where he uh, gives a coup de grace on uh, Samson. So, again, it's one of those kinetic things where Guts is, appears to be bending in, in motion. I love the look on Samson's face and, and and guts yeah. as he comes down. What, it's amazing. He goes through the shield and then through the guy's head. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> you, impressive. You, you, you get the feeling, you're like, you almost get the feeling the shield is gonna stop the sword, but then, yeah. blah, He just gets yeah. through the face in one motion, yeah, through the, the whole head, you know? Yeah, you can see the eye <laughs> just desperately wide, you know, yeah. seeing the sword coming through, and it's obviously going through his arm as well, <laughs> you know, during this <laughs> moment. And so, yeah, it really is similar to uh, Bazu, so like you, like you said, but, uh, also, you mentioned it before Griffith, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the guys, you, we don't really get a good look at the guy's face. Mostly what you see is this monstrous armor and the monster, the monster fish head, the angler, yeah, the monstrous eyeballs inside, you know, that looks like right. an impossibly huge roided up guy. <laughs> And so, yeah, and yeah, of course, given also his size, you can't help but think that it's sort of an allusion to him fighting apostles. You know, he's already used to fighting yeah. these monstrous humans. He's, and he's, the fact that you can't really see his face makes me think that as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, these guys are nothing to him, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's sort of his setting up for, you know, his, his coming up to the major leagues, you know, in a sense. Exactly. He needs to go, he needs to upgrade. Yeah, fighting bigger and bigger enemies, you know, more and more. And bigger guys, it's like, it's part of what led him to, you know, being, you know, as strong, so strong, he could actually take on, you know, real monsters. And he also, after, you know, this moment is when, you know, Casca's realized that he's protecting her and also that he's, he's injured himself while protecting her. Yeah. And that's when he tells her, you know, if you finally just says to her, you know, get the hell out of here, you know. Yeah, I actually, you know, b- before he gives a coup de grace, you know, he, you, you get to see, like, Casca realizes that, you know, like, I don't think Gus can't dodge the attacks, but 
you know, Casca knows, you know, why he does it. She, she, she knows it's for him. And there's a, a shot of her face, you know, as she realizes it. That's, you know, I, I find it pretty great. Like, you know, her expression, you know, it shows all these mixed feelings. She realizes that he's actually, you know, just protecting her. It's, it's pretty great, you know. And yeah, then after that, he tells her, you know, to just, you know, get out of there that he's created the opening. Uh, I must have missed it on the page. Where does Guts first get wounded? Where does he? Where's that first arrow shot? Well, come? you know, it's that's it's, when he uh, fell off the uh, the yeah. cliff in the previous that volume. Was, uh, when oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I thought it was happening during the fight. Yeah, my bad. Oh no. Yeah, so well, he's still bothered by that injury. All that moving around uh, right. reopened it. Yeah, and then he gets you know more arrow shots when Casca just refuses to leave him alone and. You know, why well, he says they shoot her and he actually, you know, jumps in front of her to protect her, you know, so. Yeah. He gets shot in the arm and the bicep, but he's still yeah. able to go on. <laughs> so Casca's having some hesitancy and wanting to leave Guts, but as, as soon as she makes a break for it, you know, he, uh, tosses his helmet off and kind of has this grin on his face. The, the, the same Guts we saw in the troll, the troll cave, just totally yeah. unleashing himself. Oh, then again, fantastic. yeah, be, before that, you know, I, I like, you know, what he tells her, you know, that, you know, you know, just a bunch of bullshit to make her go away. But he also tells her that, you know, is she okay with dying in a, in a shit place like that where, you know, he, you know, he might because all he wants is just, you know, to swing his sword, you know. So it, that's exactly what she's been, how to say, blaming him for. And he's just, you know. How to say, you know, spotting it back to her, even though it's not necessarily yeah. true. Like, you know, it might be true in part, but it's not the real reason why he wants her to to leave. So, you know, it's uh, it's almost ironic, you know, that he would say so to her. And uh, I think yeah. it's not lost on her, you know, which is why she says she'll come back, you know. Right. And also he <clears throat> works through that during this fight until he finally tells himself, I should probably be paying attention. <laughs> yeah. <what> <laughs> yeah. Well, he gets into this kind of trance, you know, at some point he's yeah. just, you know, like he's in the, he's in the zone, you know? Yeah. Berserk mode activated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that he starts talking tough with these guys as soon as Casco starts leaving and, you know, he doesn't really need to boast because he's already slaughtered all these guys. <laughs> I just like that he starts talking about his sword and, and, and how, how hard he hits. Cause at this point he's playing a mental game with these guys. Cause they started yeah. opting out. Like they're like, yeah. maybe, maybe this is not worth it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's actually intimidating them. And yeah, yeah, I actually really like that shot as well because, you know, it shows, and it's one of these things that shows how mercenaries walk, you know, where Adam tries to get, you know, Oh, you know, avenge your comrades. And they're like, yeah, no way, man. You know? And he well, just my favorite him. is, uh, that guy who charges, he gets the, he finally gets, he gets him to charge him when he, you know, makes fun of them for chasing a woman. And then Gus, yeah. you know, he pops in all dark. He looks villain, absolutely villainous. And he literally just destroys the guy's yeah. head. I mean, like, you oh, know, it's like literally yeah. crumbling the helmet <laughs> and, in the back. And, and, and the front his face, is like, yeah, his imploding face is on like, itself. The guts face, meanwhile, is almost you know it's expression childlike, you know, like yeah. he's, a, he's yeah mischievous. He's causing you know it's, <laughs> it's the it's the no look pass of decapitations is what it is. Yeah. That's his face. <laughs> um, I also like that you know while the mercenaries are considering leaving or who's going to go first, guts is like maybe I should leave too. So is you know yeah. Mira still inserting <laughs> comedy in these things throughout the whole time. I don't actually have a lot of notes about Casca's escape. I feel like a lot of it's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, they, they, anyway, it's first pointing out that Guts, uh, Guts, Mira is intermingling 
Casks Escape with the action with Guts, kind of like almost not page for page, but sometimes they'll mix the panels as well, so that it's a little confusing about what's happening with the action. You're sure unsure of uh, what's happening until you you know keep reading. It's one of those things where it's doing it for tension. You know, he's intermingling these yeah. for tension reasons. And I think I think it was pretty well actually. You know, it's, yeah, uh, it's totally pretty brilliant. You know. And there is this one-page spread of guts, which we mentioned oh, Frank yeah. the last time, but totally Frank Frazetta-esque here. Yeah, him I'm, cutting all the guys fantasy. down and yeah. the swords it's flying, almost the like arms he used flying. A different, it's almost like he used a different um, pen for it. You know, we've, darker, we've used, deeper ink. Yeah, and, and, and also if you look, you know, just do a quick – you know, page turning back back before we talked started talking about the the motion lines and all the kinetic motion, and this is like a freeze frame uh, of, yeah. of all that action. You know, yeah. it really sets it sets it apart from all the other actions happening. Now, this should have been the cover. Like, should have uh... seriously. And let's see. And then in the next panel, uh, he of course gets the sort of famous arrow in his hand, which you also think would slow him down because now he's got both a, an arrow in his bicep, you know, or an arrow wound in his bicep, and now one through his hand. And he just, you know, Adon mocks him, and he sort of defiantly breaks it. And then uh, continue. And then yeah, that's when you really sort of see, like, for the first time. I mean, maybe not for the first time, but you really get a sense of the scope of how many guys are in the woods. And once again, yeah. he's using that very deep inked pen. Like, they, they just look endless. Like, it goes as far back as you can see, and then there's just darkness behind them where there could be more. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's like it's trying to eat, like, a giant Caesar salad. If you order a full Caesar salad, you keep eating the thing, and there's still more. And <laughs> I often I often feel it's daunting like this <laughs> when I get a Caesar salad. <laughs> It's just, uh, it's also, it's exhausting as well, just visually, because he's already been through so much, he's already done so many fantastic feats, and then you see the horizon, and there's still like 70 guys or so. So Yeah, there really yeah. hasn't been a fight like this in the series that's lasted this long, I think, yeah. up to this point. And then, you know, this is the signal that there's no end in sight for him. Right. <clears throat> and Cass is having difficulty, and then she finally uh, gets caught, uh, but she thinks of what Guts says, and... You, probably, you guys probably want to take this slower, but I was just going to say uh, Guts and Griffith both give her strength in this scene, and she manages to find an opening in the guy's yeah. freaking eyes. And there's rescue. What I like about the rescue page is it has multi-tiered things happening, layers of things happening. You have the, the background elements of the judo, uh, and then the guys with the archers and crossbows. And then at the bottom, you have the highlight of judo's weird tall face, squished face. <laughs> But uh, just I like I like any time he does uh, you know multiple elements on the same page without actually implementing frames or panels. I like yeah, that. it's very cool. It's a very neat like I don't know sort of almost it's I would say cinematic except it's something you know you can't really do in cinema very well. Yeah, so it's, it's unique it's to the sort medium. Of its own, yeah, it's its own thing in the medium. Well, wait a minute. And I promise I'm only going to do this once. Where's Where's Griffith in this shot? <laughs> oh fucking hell! <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on. Griffith does not belong in this scene. Aziel <laughs> uh, had mentioned it before, but this is probably one of my favorite parts of the of the volume. As Guts is thinking to himself, you know, why is he here? Why is he even risking his life on this you know worthless battlefield against these losers? But then he realizes that you know he's thinking too much, and he goes into this trance, uh, which I. I I have to think about uh, this. Has to come to athletes and uh, people in the army, uh, people soldiers. This is just a, a common thing where you're using muscle memory at a certain point. If yeah. you're facing like a large opponent or you're under exhaustion, you know, you, you, 
any, any detail, if you try to think your way through it, it's going to be a, you know, a problem. You're going to screw it up if you think about it even. Whereas I think most people have probably experienced this in anything, like mm. in anything you, you practice or become good at where there, you know, there comes a time and it's not all the time. It's not even a place you reach and stay there, but you know, where you're in the zone and you're not paying attention to what you're doing and you're mm. doing it even better than when yeah. you normally would be paying attention. You're just, yeah. you know, yeah. So that's sort of where he gets here. Yeah, pure concentration. Yeah. I think the Dark Horse translation is a little awkward because it's, it's not how I remember this scene, but the final line of the scene is, is it's a transition back to Casca is, uh, even these th- thoughts will slip my mind in time and then only the beat of my heart remains. I, I don't think they transitioned that wording properly. I, I always thought the scene was basically that he needs to stop he's getting just feeling getting, the rhythm of yeah. yeah his own body and what he's doing and you know he's going to get lost <laughs> in that flow whereas yeah the dark horse one it's sort of like uh, you know is he and he's not talking heart. about he's not talking about him dying he's talking about yeah. he he wants to fight with only the sound of the beating of his beating heart in his head yeah. you know and it's not just talking about like it's not it's not actually talking about his heart beating <laughs> yeah yeah you know it makes it a little it makes it almost literal you know it's it's weird. Just one of the many times they kind of fumble in the transition. Uh, what I, I thought was interesting, and it's obvious, but it's worth noting that how concerned Casca is now. Their relationship has utterly changed, of course. You know, obviously, Guts risks his life to save her, but would she care so much about him at this point? Would she look so desperate? Would she run to him like that? Before they're seen, you know, I don't think so. I think their relationship has fundamentally changed. Yeah. Well, that being, yeah, and I, the thing is, you know, it's not like, it's not just that scene, you know, there was before, there was, you know, when they were at the fountain, you know, they both witnessed, you know, what Griffith yeah. said to Charlotte, all that stuff, yeah, you know, culminated in, you know, in this, you know. Right. Uh, <clears throat> looking at the scene, you know, I don't, I don't think I actually considered this parallel before, but. <laughs> it's a Zod. No, it's not just that. Obviously, that that certainly comes to mind as well with the the distorted bodies. But the fact that it's morning now and the fighting's over, and now Guts is surrounded by bodies, it's just like any. It's like a Tuesday night for Guts as the Black Swordsman, you know, <laughs> yeah. having to fight this endless fight that doesn't end until the bodies stop or the sun this comes is, up. Uh, this is his Sunday morning, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's Miura is like securing this loop in Guts' life, or it's hinting at what's to come. The readers know it's coming. But also, it's condition. It's obviously conditioning guts for that. But visually, I think it, I think it's just a really nice parallel that it is similar to what he endures because of the brand. Well, it's yeah. also, I mean, just the way he draws it is like it's almost. I mean, it's mythological. You know, it's sort of a myth making kind of. This is you know, like people would tell this story. You know, it's morning. The way he's sitting by the tree with his sword, yeah. Yeah. but he yeah. looks like he's a. He looks like he's like you know, made of stone or something, or, you know, that he's dead, you know, afterwards, you know, just sort of sitting there like, you know, king of the ball. And it's, it's just very cool visually in that sense. Yeah. And also it's neat, you know, obviously he drew the bodies to look horrifying, like, you know, with Zod and, you know, judo, you know, he even has this look on his face, like, you know, Oh my God, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This Our is, friend's you know, a mass like murderer. Yeah. He sees <laughs> the horror of this, you know, it's like, Jesus, this is fucked up, man. Yeah, and, and as enduring as this is, you know, Guts is fighting against humans. He's not fighting against snowmen, you know, which he, <laughs> yeah. in the future. So yeah. it's only going to get worse. Now, of course, Guts has this tough guy, you know, attitude about the whole thing. Yeah, it's when he fun. wakes up, he's just – he has like this really you know cool guy look on his face. Yeah, and you get the first person shot of 
got a judo and Casca looking at him, yeah. which is nice and rare as well. Yeah. Casca looks like chi- downright childlike yeah. in her excitement. That's her joy, you know. <laughs> Look at the, the other guy guys. over over <laughs> Judo's shoulder, directly yeah. over his shoulder, just like, Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Fuck, he's still alive. <laughs> are you guys are you guys seeing the same things I am? <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe he shouldn't be shaking his spine, is what he's saying. Uh I, I love that Guts gets in a fight with a doctor as well. The doctor's <laughs> saying <laughs> I can't guarantee your survival, which is just hilarious. Uh, Guts wants to continue on the campaign. The doctor is recommending that he sits the, the next camp part of the campaign out, and Guts is insisting, of course, that he fights. And I hadn't really thought about it before, but you know, he just he survived the the that for the first battle, falling off a cliff, getting shot with an arrow, the one hundred man fight, and then he goes into adultery from that. You know, well, and also yeah. it sets Guts off into this rant about you know being a soldier, like guarantee my life. Yeah. You know, of course. <laughs> never That's heard of a like that you know it's a hilarious line altogether you know i can't guarantee your survival no fucking shit asshole in the (laughs) army you know uh judo was uh judo knew what was bugging casca maybe i'm jumping ahead too much i'm sorry guys let me go through his pace by pace you know there's some stuff you miss a line with carcass which is funny you know he's like you know (laughs) surprise gus i survived you know it's like a shit stuff you know I must have missed that. I'm looking for it on the page. I yeah, that's his tomorrow. reaction. He's sitting there sort of like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Of oh, course. I see it. I see it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he looks, you know, genuinely displeased, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there's a wasp pass, you know. Ah, yeah, of course it. he lived. <laughs> so the group is a little perturbed that Griffith wasn't there and – you know, Casca initially thinks that he basically abandoned them. That's that's her concern on her face. Yeah. And uh, later on, uh, you know, Judo is able to reassure her that you know, Griffith did send out a search party for them at that at that night, and in fact, at that moment, uh, we can t- we know that because the 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 lightning bolt and, the, and we we saw that scene basically. You know, this is the panel after where the scene we saw ended essentially. You know, is that he hmm. sent those? To yeah, those we, we, we get to to see his reply. Yeah, that's also like an ultimately redeeming Griffith, like heroic shot, you know, where he's like, you know, I care about my man with lightning bolt behind him. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, I thought it was interesting that Judo knew what was bothering Casca without her saying yeah. anything. It's just yet another, you know, knowing thing about, you know, Judo is kind of like the... Well, Judo was also, yeah, he also figured out what was actually wrong with Casca. You know, there's that cute little panel. In the midst of her leaving the tent in guts, you know, sort of considering everything where, you know, (laughs) Brigitte has no idea what's going on. You know, Judo figures it out and then you get Pippin is sort of like the reaction like. "Mm." Yeah. Yeah. I didn't notice that Judo's Judo's exclamation mark and then he has a little thing. Oh, I know. You know. Oh, I get it. And Brigitte is like, huh? (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) Uh, We get a little puck cameo. Uh, with uh, Judo talking about where he got the uh, the medicine, I'm so surprised that no one's written like a fanfic about Judo during that time, like the first meeting with Puck or something like that. I think that'd be cool to read if it was well done. I don't know. I feel like there's a well, little... I don't invite it, man. You know who it will end up. Hey, man. You know who might write that though. I mean, that's something Mira could do if he's yeah. you know if he's bored, just like Cheech or uh, I mean, he could do that after the series is over. I mean. Who yeah. knows? You no, know, I don't know. I don't think he will uh, come back. To it's the, nice as a. It's nice as it is. It's a funny little touch. 
Yeah, that's all it uh, really is. I, I just yeah. meant like if you were if anyone was going to try to fan fictionalize sections, there yeah. are <clears throat> sense to it. Service fiction, you know, yeah. judo and pucks adventures. <laughs> Fuck. If it came to be, actually, I think it could be a cameo if Puck were to tell like his past. You yeah. Know? Totally. yeah, that's a good point. I, I could see it work that way. I guess all I'm, all I'm really saying is there there are parts of the story that could still be told and it would make sense with the framework. <laughs> it would be yeah. it would be a little weird though if they reveal because you know obviously there's all these connections with the characters and you know mm-hmm. that they get little glimpses of you know even something like uh, God uh, Farnese seeing you know guts recognizing Griffith you know at the incarnation ceremony and mm. uh, you know stuff like that if they all sort of revealed these things to each other you know Puck's saying like oh and I knew this guy named Judo you know when I was in the and guts would be like what. <laughs> that guy was my guy. He's like, oh, and you know this person? It's like we're all connected in one larger story, you know? <laughs> it would be, it would get a little too close to that. Yeah. But those connections are still there, though. Yeah. You know, reader, I mean, reader. they're there, but those are like, but they're those connections in life that, you know, it's a small world, but that you don't know about. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, all of our six degrees of separation that, you know, we'll never know. As the scene ends, Judo acknowledges or realizes that, you know, Casca's begun changing as well. And it's something that he notices, you know, he says that he says again in volume eight, you know, how does Griffith know how much Casca, does Casca even know how much she's changed? Yeah. Uh, at the point of the fight. And I also like how, uh, the visually that starts really taking off like a rocket, uh, mm-hmm. the silhouette of guts next to the tree, uh, you know, overlooking the campfire, all individually lit with the figures around them. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. nice looking stuff. Yeah. Um, it's really a missed opportunity. I thought that, you know, Casca just describes it as a mystic healing powder or something. She doesn't mention anything about, you know, elves, which is really too bad, you know? Just one little panel from, from, from Guts about, oh, it's elf powder. Elf powder? Oh, my, my history with elf powder is <laughs> dark, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what about, you know, you know how Griffith did those wounds on himself to, you know, to scar himself. We mm. saw him naked a few volumes ago. No scars on his arms. So he must have some elf powder himself. I mean, he's got a secret stash. Judo must have let him borrow it. Yeah. Puck's wings get around <laughs> like a record. Uh, yeah. Uh, s- similar to the talk on the uh, the stairwell, this is one of the most uh, one of the one of the bigger uh, dialogue scenes for for guts and, and basically. Explaining, uh, uh, I guess I'm getting it is, it's one of those big scenes that everyone knows so much. I feel difficult dissecting it. I feel bad dissecting it, but, uh, obviously I don't know if that's true though. I feel like there's almost, this is funny and it sort of ties into what we opened with, but I feel like there's a generation of berserk fans where this scene is like incredibly important. And then for others, you know, not so much, you know, because I mean, there's, there's so much story now. People that would read, you know, like the series now would be, you know, this is just, you know, sort of, you know, near the beginning, actually, of mm-hmm. like so many volumes. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, this was like central stuff back in our heyday. This was like, this was it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it's as important anymore, but I mean, you know, relatively, it's still really important to the story, but I don't know if it's recognized as such anymore. Well, I mean, I. I kind of think you can't really disregard or discount the scene. I mean, more than any scene, probably until like volume 17 or so, it shows Guts like thoughtfulness. 
you know, how yeah. much consideration he has put into <laughs> the circumstances and his men. You know, we know that Guts is not one for big speeches or big words. Yeah. There's probably no and, other section in the series where he's like this, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I don't mean to discount the scene. I'm just saying I don't know if a lot of people, if it's as famous now as it was. You no, know, I, I, know what you, I know what you meant. I, I was yeah. kind of responding to what I had said about not wanting to talk about too much because it's a, such oh. a well-known series scene. Um, but it, obviously it's important. I mean, I mean, even regardless of all the fantastic visual things and you know really what it comes down to it's it's the beautiful symbolism of the whole thing how yeah, it's a great little metaphor right it's a it's a it's a perfectly captured metaphor for for what's happening and what i also liked about this is it's it's almost like what's cute about the bonfire of dreams is it is beautiful and it's nicely symbolic of the essence of what's you know, driving the falcons and everyone but it's also foreshadowing. It's, it's exactly is it. There's a darker part to that. We we know it as causality. It's this kind of <laughs> phenomenon that's it's the soft and fluffy aspect of the idea of evil's uh, machinations. It's it's the it's the part that's it's glowy, the, yeah. the glowy bits that mm-hmm. bind people together towards a darker purpose. And also, we, I mean, that, the um, idea that uh, all their little fires are creating this huge flame of Griffith. They're getting caught up in it, and we know that's going to literally happen with everyone yeah. there. It's going mm. to be. Consumed yeah. by yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not addressed. I guess visually, kind of fire by itself is a dangerous element. You know, it's kind of the 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 foundation is there for that, but that's not the point of this scene. The point is, it's it's a it's yeah, it's, it's a, warming. And also, it, 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 I mean, it also works metaphorically in, in so many ways. You know, but visually, it makes sense because guts even says his his flame isn't there. He's not a part of that. He even 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 visually here, he's apart from this massive conglomerate. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. well done stuff. Uh, again, I didn't have much more about this particular scene because, as I've said before, I feel like we've been there uh, a few times. But guts does hint to Casca that he's going to be leaving soon, or, or implies that he will be leaving after this campaign. Mm. Which uh, it's nice that he was. Uh, open about that and we we already know how she reacts i i wonder himself if he knows what his what goals are at that point or if he has anything specific in mind probably not oh i think he just wanted to you know <clears throat> try to find his own goals you know that was his you know in itself in itself that was his purpose but uh he didn't have any idea of what it would be and uh, actually we know that he didn't find it you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> But, you know, that's what I, I've said before. I think he was searching for some things that didn't exist, you know. <clears throat> Not everybody can have a a life, you know, encompassing dream like Griffiths. And I don't think it's, you know, something guts, you know, uh, can find, you know, that kind of ambition. It's not, you know, it's not for anybody. <clears throat> Look, looking at Guts and Casca in this scene and, you know, him being so open and honest with her about these feel- his feelings – do you think there was a turning point for him in terms of his relationship with Casca where he realized she could be someone <laughs> for him? Or is it like a, such a gradual thing? I, I guess we, we know that he doesn't feel that way. He goes on volume eight. Judo asks him directly. Yeah. <clears throat> he gives him a noncommittal response. So, well, well, you know, I think as, as the truth is, you know, I think this is very gradual. And I think this scene, you know, one thing you didn't notice, you didn't mention, uh, is how she, you know, hot pats, you know, the elf powder on his, you know, on his wounds and stuff like that. That's very, you know, it's a very, I don't know how to say, but that's the kind of thing a woman does to her man. You know what I mean? Like, you know, taking care of his wounds, you know, it's very, it's, you know, some things that are most 
almost makes them a couple, you know, much like he took care of her and, and that kind of thing. And so the fact it's reciprocal, it's, you know, part of that, you know, uh, yeah. of that journey towards them being a couple. And I think at that point, <clears throat> he's not really yet uh, ready for it. But I think actually in volume eight, when Jido tells him, he doesn't dare do it mm-hmm. because he think he thinks what's best for her is to be with Griffiths. But right. at the time, I think yeah. he actually already wants her to be with him. You know, he's just not, he doesn't have the confidence for it or anything like that. He's not ready. But yeah, actually, when Judo asked him uh, in volume eight, I think he, he, you know, how to say, he already wants her. Right. You touched on exactly what I was going to say, which was basically, there's a number of things in the scene that make it very obvious. They have some kind of feelings for each other, but for both of them, there are too many impediments that keep them away, keep them from realizing that or, or doing something about it, you know. It wouldn't be socially acceptable, I mean, in, you know, in a, well, in a just, sense, you know. They just each have too much going on. Casca's yeah. so distracted by Griffith and Guts is focused on his own thing, you know, so it all makes well, sense. That's what I think is interesting about this turning point is that they're both sort of, you know, in their, you know, in their shared fascination with Griffith, they're sort of both, you know, coming together from that and turning from that and more towards each other. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what's, that's, to, that's the turning point to me. It's not necessarily them, you know, becoming romantic. I mean, they're obviously already pairing up and sort of a couple in that sense, what we were talking about with helping each other out. But yeah, they're just sort of, they're becoming a little more curious and fascinated and interested in one another. And so, yeah, becoming a little bit more of a distant, figure yeah and, and the fact as the fact they both share you know things that are very personal to them and not easy and uh, that they find shame shameful you know i think it's also determinant you know it also leads to the big reveal of you know that guts tells her you know about you know donovan and gambino you know later on you know it's you know they com- confide into each other things that are very personal and you know they both react you know with uh, how to say kindness in you know in these situations and once again, they're interrupted, you know, when she's uh, really uh, confronting him about leaving. And, I mean, she's kind of reading into it. He doesn't say, like, outright, like, you know, I'm planning to go. He just sure. says he's going to stay till the yeah. war's over. And, she's, and she's concerned, and that's when Griffith comes back, and they get interrupted. Yeah. And so he doesn't have to answer. But, yeah, she's, she, not, she's not stupid. He doesn't say it outright, but she's not, you know. She She knows exactly what it means. This is, of course, this is what she would have wanted, you know, just a little bit before. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, yeah, it's what she would have wanted before. But now when she he actually ends up leaving, you know, it's his name. She cries out. Right. I was just going to say this is an interesting exchange where Rickard tells her that, you know, got Griffith's back and then she looks at Guts and, and then he smiles at her, you know, like, go, 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 go get him, sis, you know. <laughs> go get him, tiger. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but then she's awkward, you know, with him anyway, and uh, it's actually him that sort of has to. I love it. Because you know, yeah. now he actually kind of understands. I mean, because he understands her and their relationship, <clears throat> you know, he he can just sort of cut through the bullshit. Yeah. yeah. He actually, that's exactly the look he has on his face, you know. He actually yeah. is like, get on with it. Damn, like, get oh on. my God. He's kind of acting like a wingman here, too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and plus, let me help and- you out. Yeah. Both her and Griffiths are, you know, surprised by, you know, his actions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the boss look, you know, it's a, it's a pretty funny scene, but at the same time, it's pretty touching. Yeah. <laughs> I also like Guts is going out and hanging out with his guys as well. It's nice to see them together. All those few scenes you see him hanging out with his friends, his comrades. Yeah. Yeah. 
Some of them look quite stupid, though, on that second page. <laughs> One of that guy's with the buzz cut look. Looks like yeah, a dude. Why, well, you know, they are mercenaries, so. Of course. As a band of the Falcons, they are still, you know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's also a neat moment to see Guts just talking about, like, let's go get, you know, let's go get plastered, you know, <laughs> with the boys. You know, it's it's fun seeing him do this kind of carefree yeah. stuff. And you know what's interesting is, you know, when, even though Casca is now with, you know, Griffiths, she actually turns and look at Guts going, you know. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what. Yeah, and, the, and Griffith, like, in Loser Boyfriend, Mo's like, what is it? You know, why, why are you looking at him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather hang out with Guts in that point, personally. <clears throat> I think I think I know where I would want to be. <laughs> uh, and here we're introduced to the second most powerful human in the entire series, Bascone. Well, for- uh, you know, I think Silat could have taken him. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In fact, when I say I think, I mean I'm sure. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I'm just I'm I'm jokingly trumpeting up how much I like Bascone. And, this well, big, also, and plus their big fight. I mean, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I love this this two page gorgeous picture of Doldry against the mountain. I mean, even if it looks uh, just the, the multi tiered levels yeah. of this castle. I really wonder if he had like a, a something he based it on. Well, you know, I'm not sure any any fortress was ever built that was you know that big you know like he, he yeah, must have you know ridiculous. <laughs> yeah he must have had some inspiration but it's fucking you know like this is really you know <clears throat> impregnable yeah. supposed to be yeah the fortress to end all fortresses so it definitely looks like uh like it lives up to that and the uh the sequence we get with the the planning uh so that their strategic planning section we have uh, these maps of the land, and we also get this overhead map of the actual fortress, which I didn't notice until this reread, but you can kind of see, if you were going to siege it, you'd have to go through these, this, this spiral effect to, to, to get to the center of the, the fortress, which is, it's just neat. It's obviously, it's how castles are designed to be difficult to, mm. to, to raid, but it's interesting. Um, kind of, we get, okay, kind of, we get kind of a back behind the scenes look at, uh, the motivators behind the Midland War and why Doldry is such an important part. We get some kind of history about it. And what's interesting is, I, I guess I kind of wished we had a little bit more detail about it, but apparently now is a critical point in the 100-year war because there's some uh, confusion about who's going to take uh, the future of Doldry. And so, not Doldry, sorry, Tudor's uh, Tudor, yeah. And... I, I kind of wish I knew what the actual uh, dispute was. Obviously, it's a, it's a, a matter of succession, but I wonder what caused that. You know, it makes me think of: was there something else that caused this opening? Was it a natural death? Was it an assassination that caused that? You know, what actually created this opening? But it doesn't really matter. It's all you know, in it service. Was, yeah, it's all in service of creating this moment for Doldry being right for the taking, basically. And it's also, you know, something that adds, you know, depth and cre- credibility to the, to the scene because that's all these things, you know, you know, where historically, you know, where a nation could have been very powerful and then the king dies and, you know, everything goes to shit. And mm-hmm. even though they were on the, on the verge of winning a war, they lose it, you know, <clears throat> these things actually happened. Yeah. The, some of the generals are opting for, Total warfare should involve like trebuchets and platforms and moving platforms and things like that, but uh, they can't do it because they have to be kind of be in and out pretty quickly because it'll be flanked or reinforced 
uh, if it was, if it took too long. So, uh, Griffith offers a bold plan to go in with a, a, a few number of soldiers. I, I like what's, what's funny was the guy, the tiger general, white tiger general response <laughs> yeah. that numbers is the way you win fights. Always strategy is numbers, which is like, he looks very much like, I don't know, <laughs> very old school army guy. Like yeah. Sort of out of time. Like I can imagine this guy living in like Navy housing, you know, <laughs> in the area, you know, he just has that look about a military man. Yeah, yeah. it's a stash man. He's a fucking mustache, you know. <laughs> Thunderbolt Ross, you know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> putting rank on you. <laughs> the level of I mean, he really is. He's like pointing, you know, just every the veins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, you know, actually, he he reminds me of a cop captain, you know, like in one of these, you know, '80s movies. You know, I want your badge. <laughs> You know, (laughs) (laughs) you don't understand. The senator is a drug dealer. I don't give a shit, McBain. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Griffith gets results. Okay, (laughs) that's all that matters. Well, when when you hear what this guy says, and you know, you see a couple more of the incompetent generals, and this is the cream of the crop military leaders of of Midland. (laughs) The guy with the super ugly beard who comes back in like twenty volumes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's he's there in Britannus, I think. Well, yeah. the thing is, you know, they're not really, these guys are not really incompetent, you know. I mean, I understand, like, Dordre yeah. is really impregnable, and the guy tried to do it with just his army, and he got, you know, wiped out. So, I understand Griffiths is, you know, raising the bar, you know, maybe because he has to, you know, to, to really reach the rank he wants. But the thing is, he's raising the bar in a ridiculous way. He's like, oh, well, I'll do it with just my guys. No need for anybody. And so, you know. So, he'll get sole credit, yeah. Yeah, and everybody knows it's like, you know, it sounds insane, you know, like in conventional warfare, it sounds completely insane. And his plan is actually very, you know, daring, like, you know, daring beyond reason, you know. <clears throat> so we know he wins, but, you know, if you are general and he's, you're he's basically it, counting on them to crumble. Yeah. Well, he's, he's counting on Ginnon interfering with everything. Yeah, yeah. There's much, that. Yeah. He's also counting on like, yeah, once they take the fortress, that because ba- you know they'll still have the numbers, you know, yeah. to wipe yeah. them out. But you know that they're just going basically. They got to cut tri- the head off. Yeah, it's it's a trick, you know. They they gotta you know yeah take the castle, cut the general, and then you know impress the guys and just you know make them flee. So it's very yeah, intimidate them. It's uh yeah, it's very daring and also very dangerous. So you know I I can understand the guys' reactions. And actually, the, the what say what wins them over is what you know Raban says that you know pretty much you know even if you know the Hawks die, it's just it's just a few thousand troops, so it's not gonna you know. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's definitely done also because clearly they don't like Griffith anyway, and yeah, so if if he if he were to die because of his bold move, so much the yeah. better for you, you know. Pretty much, even if uh, you know his army is you know wiped out and he's dead, you know, well, you know, all the better. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, we get basically, I mean, the scene does a number of things, but it also introduces Rabana and Owen as sympathizers for Griffith. Uh, and obviously that comes into play much later as well. But it's, 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 it's noteworthy that there were nobles that supported his cause and that were, were forward thinking enough to acknowledge that Griffith was a standout military leader despite, mm. you know, his heritage and his upbringing and all that. So yeah. they were open minded enough to accept that, I guess. And I mean, I've always sort of seen this pairing as like, you know, obviously Raymond is, you know, he's more, you know, on the military side and Owen looks like he's more in with the the court, you know. Yeah. And it, they sort of make an interesting, you know, mm. team, you know. Mm. 
I hadn't actually thought about that before, but I guess you're right. But they're both out here on the campaign trail. But you're yeah. right. Maybe there is because we see Owen later on in the court. And Raban is usually out in the battlefield. You're right about that. I mean, yeah. they look like they would, they look like the, I mean, I've always sort of, you know, in my own head, you know, it's like they, they make sense as sort of allies, you know. Yeah. You know, they, they share, you know, the same ideas and they can, you know, they could help each other out. Right. Um, I love the shot, the couple shots of Griffith as well. Cause, you know, it's, it's also nice. I mean, it's kind of a nice pat on the back to the readers because we know how great Griffith is, but to, to see him acknowledge as, you know, hero of the century you know it's 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 yeah it's a good feeling <laughs> and yeah and they have that funny moment where yeah owen is you know it's weird but he's, he is really be- a beautiful looking guy <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that's when raven sort of compliments on the fact that yeah he's you know also this you know sort of you know he's a super person all around you know mm, and yeah. he you know happens to you know be sort of like this physical ideal in addition to uh to all of his prowess yeah uh we transition to the back to the Falcons camp, and what I like is that they're playing a game of dice, and, and, and yeah. the battle they're they're about to engage on is kind of a gamble to begin with. So, and is Gus supposed to be just good at dice? Which I don't know how, or is he like I'm? I'm always looking in this panel for like evidence of him cheating because he always wins. Apparently, yeah, he wins continuously. It's cause it's causality. <laughs> Um, he uses the money he wins to buy the bag that he packs to leave the band of the hawk. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it was planned all along. It was all preordained, yeah. Um, we're introduced kind of uh, face first to the uh, shooter's general, Boscone, who uh, almost smashes, you know, completely slashes uh, Adon's face back as he comes back. I like, you know, I like the wait, wait, wait. You're, you know, you're skipping over the fact, mm, Cascata has, you know, gas about, you know, the fact Ganon is now, you know, the leader of Dolce Castle. I think that's pretty important. Yeah. And, you know, she's, she expresses concern that, you know, like maybe he doesn't have his head on straight, you know, and I think, yeah, you know, that's, that's basically their concern, you know, is that, yeah. you know, is Griffith thinking clearly, you know, that's like the wild card for them. You know, Guts is, isn't worried, but then she tells him that and it makes him think twice. Meanwhile, in the background, you know, the guys are continuing to lose at, at right. dice. So it's funny because this is some really heady stuff going on where we even see, for some reason, we see a flashback. This is weird. Of Gennon walking Griffith in there with his hand over him, coming out of sort of on the side of Guts' head, even though Guts never saw that, he just had it described <laughs> to him. So it's like he's having her memory. Yeah. <laughs> well, just because we see it on that panel with Guts' face doesn't mean it's coming I, out. Of I know it doesn't, but I mean, you know, usually that would be the implication. Yeah, yeah totally. I know. I know what you mean. That is funny, though. Right, it's when you inserted your br- memories into my brain. Now I remember. <laughs> well, the thing is, the angle is too high to even be from you know her memory. Oh, you're, you're right. <clears throat> you know. <laughs> yeah, it was probably a, a helicopter or something like that—a drone, <laughs> a drone, you know, surveillance drone. <clears throat> <laughs> so I guess I didn't mention the Gennon thing because uh, I wasn't focused on that part of the st- the storytelling. I mean, obviously, I, I, I yeah, you just want to get to Boscone. All right, let's get to Boscone. No, he's he's really cool. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and you know what? I, I it's been bothering me since you said it, but I I don't know that Salat would beat him. You know, Guts is very complimentary of Boscone, not so much of Salat. Why? Maybe yeah, maybe he's but, just xenophobic. But you know, <laughs> well, you know, Boscone's dead. Salat's still around. You know, 
I mean, you could argue his training is what, you know, made him, you know, so much better by the time he fought Salat, you know, but still. Yeah, he did train for a full year, and then (laughs) Salat, you know, still didn't die. He managed to escape, you know. Ah. Yeah, he was, you know, he got a cut to his forehead. Uh, but he also didn't got... even come close to, you know, killing Guts. Which actually, well, Boscone, he... Boscone beat Guts. Well, you know, he's so <laughs> broke. It's Te- a... Technicality. Oh, yeah, it's a technical KO. It's not, you know, really, you know. <laughs> he, 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 who was, who was dead, you know, at the end, huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying, you know, don't be so sure that Silat won't, you know, be the one to off Griffiths. Don't be so sure. <laughs> no, one of these, you know. It sounds like we've got competing fanboy, you know, heroes here. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's such a hilarious hypothetical to consider Boscon versus Silat. I, I don't even know where to begin. You know, I mean, you know, well, you know, if Guts is in, if we consider Guts and Boscon of similar styles. Similar power have, level. <laughs> yeah, similar, similar styles and strengths. We already have the answer. I mean, uh-huh. you know, it would be Boscon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I guess, I mean, really, it's pretty easy to explain why I like Bosco. And it's, he's a, he's the first worthy adversary for Guts that's it's a human, you know. And, and also, I mean, I kind of just like his personality, well, you know. Who beat him. Like, we've seen Adon who, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, uh, Griffith as well. I guess on the other side, you know, actual opponent in the war, that kind of thing. Cause yeah. Since then, since he became part of the Falcons, Guts has just cut through everyone like a knife through butter. It hasn't been much difficulty. <laughs> The actual combat itself—it's just nice to see that he has kind of a a true opponent on the on the battlefield for this final part of the campaign. And also, I just like his personality. I mean, he, he cuts Adon right off. You know, Adon's been kind of a cad the entire series. It's nice to have him have some comeuppance from a superior and to be basically put on you know uh, grounded for this for this part of the campaign. It's someone who is clearly superior. Just that introductory shot of him—he's very impressive. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's just standing there. His armor—you know—actually looks good. <laughs> you know, he doesn't yeah. look ridiculous. And yeah, it's just, it's, you can tell he's a serious man. Yeah, he's just not fucking around, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> have I ever said how much I like Boscone? <laughs> not quite enough. Okay, I'll end it right there. Uh, I, I mean, of course, you know, everyone knows this. This really just fantastic shot of of uh, why does he have a lobster as his insignia? Is there some special significance about? Now, the lobster is again on the insignia, you know. I know, but I know. Thing with the choice of it, and I wondered if there was some kind of do lobsters like having sex with young boys, for example? Is there some kind of parallel oh, here? Oh, you know, like itching behinds. You know, I mean, I think it's maybe that could be it. I don't know. I'm reading. I'm trying too hard. Crabs walk sideways. Do lobsters walk sideways? Do lobsters have beards? Do lobsters like wine? All these things. I think anyway, it's, I, it's just sort of a. I mean, it's a funny. It's you know, sort of sigil to have. You know. I mean, it, it brings to mind sort of, yeah, this lifestyle, you know, he's like, he's living the finer life, but it's also, it's not a very intimidating animal, you know, that he, yeah. his is the, mm. the clan of the lobsters, you know? <laughs> you know, that, that has gotten me in trouble at work, you know, that noise yeah. when I'm trying to find something and I forget that when I don't, you know, put in the right URL, that's going to pop up. I don't remember exactly how it evolved. It was probably just like a one-off joke between, I think it was me and Azil. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The return of Genin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I made uh, some shitty, you know, uh, picture with, with that song which I sent to you over AM. Oh, okay. 
And uh, and then you know, I think I'm not Probably sure. Probably in who... the AM. <laughs> what? Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't catch it. In any case, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah. After that, you made another version, more you know, refined, which you we used as a you know the error page. <clears throat> it's just it's a, it's a really well done. I mean, I'm talking about Mira's work at this point. Mine's also very well done. Uh, <laughs> very rough. Just. Totally unseemly in all regards. Just the the cross shot of him, him, yeah. His fucking nose, his little creepy tiny beady eye. The way he's holding his glass to his nasty bearded yeah, no, face. Nobody someone, drinks wine like that. I mean, it's just disgusting. <laughs> looking at someone sidelong, mm, it's just all. All it needs is for his tongue to be coming out from his gross lips. You know, yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> like I've always, I've always kind of felt bad for I don't know his portrayal. It's just like a one hundred percent monster. There, there's very little yeah. nuance to his. And the character. the boy serving his wine looks exact, looks almost exactly like a more grown up and you know refined version of the little scout you know that got killed. Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah, like oh my Wait, goodness, see. just with like a little more Griffith hair thrown mm-hmm. in, even. I was gonna say if you were gonna say Griffith as a boy, I would like I could buy that as well. And then maybe yeah, I mean either way, maybe he began handpicking boys that you know suited that shape. I don't know. Well, I mean, as we know, he found boys that looked exactly like Griffith. If you mm-hmm. see the documentary about getting the the anime film that shows he found his twin brother, he's mm. not just a the twin. He's like there's, there's five of them. It, yeah, it's like it's as if he was able to duplicate the exact same, you know, cartoon character model and just you know lazily use it over and over again. Just dye his hair, you know, green and red, and you know, and yellow, <laughs> which actually kind of makes sense. But anyway, well, that is that is actually the significance of lobsters. Lobsters are known for gene splicing, and they were able to make clones. So <laughs> it makes sense that Gen's associated with that. Once again, none of this stuff ever happened. Yeah. Um, we've already talked about Buscon's armor, how it's a lot more uh, uh, intimidating than some of the other people in, that we've seen so far on the two-door side. I just like that it. it's just it's a, a big rhino motif. I think it's cool. Anyway, uh, Buscon's excited about the potential of this upcoming battle because the, the Falcons are, you know, renowned. He's, uh, but also he's has very little confidence, or, or very much, con- he's very much confident about the outcome of the battle. You know, he has little. Uh, thought of defeat here. Well, he knows they outnumber them, and you know he's right. confident in his own skill, which uh, rightly so, I would say. Yeah, but he is—he uh, is. I mean, more than uh, anyone else. I mean, Gennon is treating it like a like a fucking game. You know, he thinks it's a foregone conclusion. He's—he's—he yeah. he's, doesn't have his eye on the ball at all. He's just worried about you know you know getting capturing Griffith. You know. So he obviously doesn't feel very threatened, and maybe rightfully so. I mean, they are in this fortress, you know, that's impregnable. But, you know, Boscone does wonder, yeah, he literally asks, you know, what he, what is Griffith thinking doing this? You know, it doesn't make sense to him, and just in that way it worries him. Or at least makes him think, you know, about it a little bit. Right. Um, Gus Griff, Gus comments on the fact that the weather conditions, there's a, a mm-hmm. sandstorm happening and Griffith yeah. says that's part of the plan and Gus slashes through the, 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 the air and the sand. Yeah, it's a dust cloud, yeah. Right. It's pretty cool. It makes sense. It's a good thing the they're so like close and familiar with each other. You know, you like slicing through the cloud right next to your commanding officer's head, you know, 
probably wouldn't go over well. Yeah. When, when, when he asks you if it's gonna be okay, you know, just slice the dust. Like, yeah, fuck, I can slice it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, there, uh, there you go. There you go, boss. <laughs> just dust. The dust Don't is worry dead. About it. <laughs> you know, uh, I find it interesting that. You know, Guts uh, thinks back to, Casca, to what Casca said, you know, her concern about Griffiths being, <clears throat> I'd say, on edge because of uh, the, his history with Ganon and uh, Guts being reassured that Griffiths is not that kind of man and he can't be shaken by that kind of things, you know, seeing just to you know who he is. So, yeah, he's, <clears throat> he's not phased by this and figures he won't be yeah. phased by little old me, so. Yeah, by anything else. So, yeah, that, that reassures him, you know, in what he thought before. Uh, which is actually, which is not the case, but in any in case, that plays a role to what comes later on. I mean, it's it's interesting to make that sort of as benign as possible. As far as he's concerned, he's not. He doesn't want to leave any hurt feelings or anything like that. He's it's yeah. reassuring for him, but it also it like for the audience, it does make him. It puts him in the nicest light, and he even says after that, even though he's leaving, he's still yeah. totally dedicated to you know this battle. Yeah, he wants to do it in good terms, pretty much. Yeah. And yeah, he he also reflects on the fact uh, it will be his last time, you know, f- you know, fighting under that, you know, that banner, you know. So and he has a look of his, on his face, you know, like uh, we know it means something, you know, to him. Like over the years, he, he has grown to be very fond of the band of the Falcon. You know, it's not something he's, you know, he's experienced before, and probably not something he would experience, you know, afterwards. So it's it's uh, important for him. And also, I mean, that banner holds special significance, you know, not not just for now, but also in the future, because the banner comes to mean different things for him. And it's yeah. just it's, it's nice to look back as a as someone who everyone now is, you know, current on things at all the different implications that banner has. And this is the final fight he has where he actually is fighting under it, you know, as, yeah. as part of it. So it's an important symbol. Right. Um, the battle gets underway. And uh, we already talked quickly last time about. Uh, you know, the motion blurring that's happening here and it's, it's really refined here from what it was before. Yeah. Same similar technique, but you know, the, the art's grown just, it seems to have grown a bit just in the, just in the course of this volume. And yeah. Yeah. it's just a reminder of how quickly Mira progresses. If you just go back like three volumes, things, and you, and you would, and you know, look at, compare from volume three or <laughs> five to eight. Just a, I mean, in, at this point, it's almost getting better. Yeah, it's getting better by the volume, better by the episode. It's just, it's growing, you know, so yeah. much. Yeah, very, uh, very impressive shots. You know, with, again, you know, something Mira often does, it's, uh, you know, very, you know, say complicated angles, which, you know, he managed to render, you know, great, you know, like there's a scene, you know, uh, of guts, you know, yelling on his horse as he's charging, you know, and you see he's, mm, you know, shot from, you know, uh, beneath the horse, you know, and you, you get everything from his expression to the horse, to the horse, you know, walking, you know, or running motion, you know, which is actually accurate to what a real horse would do, you know, everything is crazy, you know, and the head's flying and bodies flying a- around it, you know, it's, uh, it's very detailed. And of course, we have the first clash between him and uh, Boscone here at the end. Right. And it's also, I mean, the fact that there are multiple horses on those, and, and I know it's, yeah. it's just a small detail, but you know, as Ilya mentioned it before, you're right that the animated motions of the horses, the, the legs, uh, they're all proportionate and the, and the motions are accurate. It's, it's well, a very it's funny, fascinating. Just think about how many horse legs you had to draw on that. Yeah. Shot <laughs> yeah. Like that's like, that seems just daunting to me. Like, Oh yeah. Right. As the thing is, yeah. Who, 
who pays attention to this shit, you know. There's only Murai, and I, I, I feel like he's the only guy out there who'd ever care to draw these things, you know, accurately, you know, and to care to follow them from one shot to the other. Or even, you know, when you look even at the armor on the horses, you know, all the details, it's stuff that's, that's pretty crazy. Because, yeah, he didn't even need to have those guys in the background behind uh, Guts. He could have just had him slicing the guys, and, you know, that would have been it, you know, sort of yeah. isolated. But, you know, he... He expanded that scene a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the things. Is it starts, you know, progressively as you know, the backgrounds are not so much, you know, just pure white anymore. There's more and more stuff, you know, in it, and you know, it progresses from that way to what is currently now, where you know, it's just you know, insanely detailed. You know, everything is detailed. You know, to to the max. You know, we, on that same page, we get this kind of uh, column that shows an overhead view, dramatic overhead view of the fight, the course of the fight. And we can see the Hawks, the Falcons are coming down kind of an arrowhead formation through, just cutting through straight for the, the general. Yeah. And, you know, before this moment, we weren't quite sure what Griffith's technique or strategy was going to be for the overall fight. But here we can see in Boscone comments that they're going straight for Boscone to create this, you know, disorganization if they're able to decapitate Boscone quickly. Uh, and is another part of the fight we of course see later on, but right now it's Guts and Buscone. In their first clash, you know, Guts slashes off two of the horns on Buscone's little rhino helmet there. Yeah. And Buscone's has a like a worried expression on his face as if he finally realizes, you know, this is the guy that was rumored to have attacked the, the hundred men. Yeah, and he's, you know, like he's really good, you know. Right. They have somebody who's, you know, as you know, like a, poses danger to him. Right. And as we said before, you know, Boscone was kind of, I mean, he wasn't underestimating the force, but he was pretty confident given the numbers of the scenario. So suddenly the, the atmosphere has changed for him. Uh, and Guts also loses his helmet in that same strike. So <clears throat> it's not so easy for him either. Uh, we have a, in, we go, go back to the inside of the, of the fortress and we get this lovely depiction of the statue, which looks yeah. like, um, it's not pan. a sent- pan, it's pan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kind of uh, gently caressing a young boy's chest and whispering yeah. sweet, horrible things into his mm-hmm. ear, you know? Yeah. Nice interior decoration by Gannon. Yeah. I mean, in addition to his lobster imagery and little boys, he also has these, you know, really uh, uh, masculine uh, figures all over and the place. His, his, his major concern is that, uh, <laughs> is that you know, Boscone will disobey him and kill Griffith, which he can't have. So, yeah. as we get the telling sign, you know, with his serious eyes that he's going to take control of the fight and take command, we see up in the corner his cartoon lobster sigil, which sort of, to me, now I look at his foreshadowing that this isn't a good idea. <laughs> you yeah. know, as much as it obviously isn't a good idea. <laughs> Uh, I didn't actually have a lot to say before we get back to the fight. Obviously, uh, Ginnon, uh expels uh, his troops from the interior mm-hmm. to the exterior. Uh, so he basically uh, gets anyone that was defending the fortress outside. Yeah, uh, he falls. The thing is, he falls for Griffith's trick, you know. Right. Whereas you yeah. know, Boscon didn't. But you know, uh, Ginnon actually falls for it, which is what yeah. you know Griffith's counted on. So and Griffith, just- you know, orders the the <clears throat> retreat, and Boscon is like, well, you know. I'm not going to pursue them. Why, you know? Yeah. Because he knows they're up to something. Yeah, he's not falling for it, but Gena actually ruins it. So it really sh- it goes to show that, you know, it's really like Griffith's whole plan hinge on that thing. And, you know, well, it actually was right because Gena is so, <clears throat> how to say, obsessed that, you know, he's willing to do anything. 
Right. I mean, Gideon coming out there alone disrupts the chain of command. But in addition to that, he tells the men that they're awarded – anyone who captures Griffith is awarded you know, two titles ahead of what they currently are, which of course is going to just ruin any kind of uh, tactical advantage you may have had. Yeah. yeah. Anyone's just going to be going every man for himself, which is just fucking ridiculous. So Boscoan, obviously – at that point, Boscoan is just another soldier essentially. I mean he has his own forces, but he's not in command of the battle anymore. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. Guts, you know, has a moment there where he's uh, you see he's impressed with Griffith, you know, of course, because when he sees the troops are, you know, following them, you know, once again, you know, he's impressed by how in control of everything Griffith yeah. is. We have this shot of guts, this full page shot of guts that uh, very stylistically done as um, Griffith orders them back into the to the fray. It's I mean, I almost said it's like charcoal, but I think. Like you said, Griffith before, I think it's like brush strokes. Uh, on, yeah, on guts. I mean, you can see it yeah. mostly in the hair. I mean, either way, it's like a very intense drawing of guts, and it's also very stylized. And that same style continues into this two-page spread of you know as they go right back into the the front with you know. Yeah, now this one really yeah. looks charcoaly. Yeah, uh, totally, because it yeah. gets it gets dark and kind of uh, I don't know what the wording is, but you can see kind of the hash marks for where each stroke was. It's not it's not like a brush; it's more like a mm. like a charcoal, like you said. What I like about this is it changes the tone of the whole battle, you know, beforehand, beforehand, obviously the style lends itself to that, but it also is just getting, it's getting messy out there. Uh, yeah. The horizon is just horses clashing against horses and bodies uh, as a body like literally suspended in the air that's flying. Yeah, I was just looking at that one body flying, you know, right. yeah. in the air above the fight in the, in the distance. I mean, that all goes kind of goes without saying that each one of these soldiers is rendered with this art style, which is just really impressive on the scale of things. Uh, from from the foreground all the way to the to the horizon is all like that. So the consistency of it's impressive. We see the second part of the front that Griffith had planned is Griffith's kind of a flanking maneuver here with Casca as set apart from the battle, which yeah. you can see the battle uh, mm-hmm. visually how it's progressing. The sandstorm is enveloping. Uh, directly in front of Doldry and behind the river, yeah, where the battle's taking place. Casca's leading a second force into the castle, which now I guess Griffith had guessed would be undefended based on Ginnon's. Uh, I, I wonder, was she waiting on a signal, or was she just had a timing? No. not quite. I think I see, she's I see. just waiting on them to see them clashing over there. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, she's waiting to see the armies, you know, fighting and then using the the dust to come, you it's, know. It's a it's a good it's an interesting strategy. He's drawn them so far away from the castle in order to you know with basically using themselves as bait, you know, that they can wipe out you know his army. Yeah, like, in Bosco, and you know, sadly was not going to fall for it, and uh, yeah. And all that's left in the fortress, that seemingly, are these basically two guys, you know, on top, of a, on top of a cannon on top of the fortress, and they're flabbergasted that they're happening to fight, basically, an entire army division. But, uh, of course, Adon stayed behind, and he has his guys prepared pretty quickly in his shark armor, uh, <laughs> just sharks along his arms and uh, his chest. Which, uh, I mean, it does, it has eyes on the chest, and we talked before about how this, you know, these armor designs do look kind of apostle-like. Yeah. It's sadly the closest thing to, uh, apostle shark that we've yeah. gotten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. Well, the breastplate is pretty cool, but yeah, the rest. It is actually, it's kind patch. of unique. Yeah. Usually I- those designs would be like on the, the top portion, the chest half on his, it's mm. sort of like on the underbelly. Yeah. <clears throat> It's really, you know, shock-like, but yeah, but, I mean, the rest he, is... he looks, 
He looks more like an action figure than, you know, like a real man in a suit of armor. He just looks yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, his face is, you know, the thing is, like, maybe with another guy inside would be less, but, you know, he really looks goofy and stupid, you know, yeah. because that's... I don't know, those shark arms, I don't think there's any, yeah. like, yeah, man true. that would Yeah, make, so that would the shark that. arms and uh, shark, you know, uh, knee uh, protections are pretty, you know, pretty bad, yeah. <laughs> I guess my my issue with this scene is it's it's just so tough to take Adon seriously at this point. I mean, for, well, for multiple is, reasons, you know. Yeah, the thing is when you see Casca's reaction shots, you know, yeah. she herself is is not taking you know she's not taking him seriously, you know, like she's, she's like yeah, well, she is disgusted by how you know ridiculous this man is. She is put yeah. off by it. Yeah, but I mean, regardless of how she feels, you know, they they quickly realize it's not going to be a cakewalk taking us. Yeah, anymore. but it's, I mean, yeah. he is actually you know his threat is real. Yeah, yeah exactly. he, he, like, good she doesn't guys, even you know. believe him at first, but uh, right. For once, uh, he's not bullshitting. Somehow, there are some people that still devote himself themselves to Adon's cause. I don't know why at this point, but he still has some guys. Uh, <clears throat> as we progress back to the fight on on the front lines, we get this shot of how the rest of the Falcons are taking the fight. You know, Pippin has this mace to this guy's face, and Judo is dual wielding, looks like short swords. And then we get Carcass, and it's just comically <laughs> running, running away from everybody. Yeah, running from guys, yeah. <laughs> Griffiths is you know, slashing some guys around, you know. Yeah, he's <clears throat> slitting throats and cutting hands off, as yeah. usual. Looking as, of- you know, as cold as usual, yeah. Right, and of course, that's the focus of the reader's attention at this point, when thinking with Griffith, is, is how he's handling this fight. Because Cask has lent so much credence to him, potentially being emotionally unstable here, but, you know... The only glimpse we get of him is cool and collected, so you know, yeah, yeah. those worries aside. The shot of Guts we get is, you know, four people being beheaded. So And of course Guts is, you know, he's in the raid party protecting Griffith so they can't get to him. Right. But quickly him and Boscone come to blows again and each of their strikes is like a light source spark, which has a light source on the page and looks really pretty. I like the contrast it creates. And this time, I mean, just to begin with, it's sort of like a duel. Like they're acknowledged, you know, they they sort of ride up slowly this time and then, you know, charge. Yeah, yeah. It's more of an acknowledged moment between them instead of just. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be a one-two hit. They know that at this point, you know. Yeah. This and time they the, know, you know, they're not just meeting happenstance. It's the time to do it. Right. Yeah. We get this spectator shot of Guts and Donna, or Donovan, uh, Boscon going at it. And it's, it's similar to what we see of him when, when Guts attacks Wild and also when he fights Zod in volume 22. It's just, you know, multiple hits happening at the same moment. Yeah. And everyone's just like, just amazed at how yeah, fast same and how speed and motion yeah. being displayed. Uh, and then, of course, back to Adon's face. <laughs> yeah. He rolls down the stairs. And I, eyes rolling up into the back of his head and you know yeah. if it if the shot went farther down enough you could probably see his tongue sticking out because <laughs> yeah it's another staple completely you know utterly defeated by casca who's you know yeah, yeah who who let lets him know that last time yeah she was you know and uh, in, in a bad condition you know so <clears throat> yeah he actually uh would say reacts you know almost embarrassingly for her you know look like he spells it out too like yeah, yeah. period you know and it's just <laughs> and he, yeah, she tells him, "Don't, don't just say it out loud." I mean, yeah, he's such a coarse, you know, yeah. <laughs> character, right? But, I mean, uh, there's, there's, there's some comedy here, but it's also it's one of the few times we get to see Casca actually, you know, really enacting a, a leadership role in in this yeah. way, and in, in the similar kind of role you would expect she would have taken in the year apart and when they were, yeah. uh, 
you know, yeah. cut off from Wyndham's. So it's nice yeah. to see her in this role. And I'd yeah, like to see her like before. Yeah, she, two great she, shots of her when she's yelling to them, you know, both the close up on her face and then, you know, the shot of her, yeah, you know, whole body. Behind. Yeah, from behind. <clears throat> it's pretty great. She, she shows that she's, you know, pretty badass in her own right, you know, which we, we don't get to see much of because, well, the story is about guts, but, uh, yeah, she's pretty formidable on her own, you know, on her own. <clears throat> Uh, before we transition back to the rest of the group, we get these three panels I really like. Just There's no dialogue. It's just kind of scene setting. You know, There's one guy impaled by multiple harpoons. Yeah. Uh, soldiers are becoming outnumbered. And uh, the bodies of the Falcons, it looks like the Falcons, yeah, are being... Yeah, they're, they're, it shows that they're getting, uh, they're right. on the losing it's, end. It's getting heated, yeah. It, it basically, it's telling the atmosphere of the, of the battle, how things are changing. The tide of the battle is changing. Yeah. Because the, the numbers are catching up to them. Yeah, he goes to Rickert, you know, falling off his horse, you know. Right. And, you know, Pippin saving him. Right. And of course, yeah, we get to, you get to see a little bit of everyone's character here, you know, Pippin's protective, you know, nature for, uh, Rickett. And of course, Rickett being a brave, you know, soldier, you know, saying, you know, they need to uh, fight to the death, you know, in order to, you know, win. And <laughs> of course, Kark is thinking, you know, that's quite literally insane, you know, but it's out of genuine concern that Rickett's gone insane. But I mean, like I said, it, it does also show their character, like what their, what their limits yeah. are. Cause like for Rickard, he would die for this cause, but Carcass would probably just take up he's, swimming back across that <laughs> little river to survive. He's much, he's much more pragmatic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> And we see another shot of Griffith again. I didn't comment on it, but um, Griffith is becoming concerned that he's the guts is becoming mired with Boscone. You know, yeah. that was part yeah, of their strategy. That part of the strategy was that Guts was going to take out Boscone quickly and cause disorganization. But that hasn't happened yet. You know, Boscone's still alive and well. Yeah. I also think it's becoming more and more sort of the the main event, you know, that everyone like, yeah. becomes concerned with yeah. him and you can see that he's in the middle of this, you know, this is, this is it. Right. And that, that becomes even more the case in the next volume, but yeah, this is the start of it really. It's kind of the standoff now, the real standoff between him and Boscone. And, and in this moment, you know, guts begins to realize that this is a really formidable opponent. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, he's worse than, you know, the hundred yeah. men fight, you know, just by himself. And you sort of get the sense here that Boscone has the advantage. There's a shot of them, you know, when they're looking at each other and you see a close-up of their faces, again, not with separate panels, but in the same one. And Boscone has a little bit of a smile. Guts, you know, has sort of yeah. a grimly determined look on his face. And he's uh, mm. he's thinking yeah. about how strong he is. Yeah, he's wincing, he whereas Boscone looks, you know, cool. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> right, he but looks Guts- ready for, for action. Guts' attitude changes when he reflects on, you know, he's had a stronger opponent before, yeah. having faced Zod, having survived Zod, an inhuman opponent. You know, he knows he's been through worse before. Yeah, and, and he and Boscone senses the change in his uh, his demeanor. Yeah, right. It's a really cool part. I, I actually like visually as well because Mio really capitalizes on it. He doesn't just yeah. have the dialogue. He also has this, you know, looming shot of Zod in the background as well, and Guts looking <laughs> confident. Yeah, he's awful yeah. face. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite parts of the Golden Age. That's that shot. Yeah, I can totally understand that. It's, it's very, it's very cool. <clears throat> and it actually ends. This scene ends in a cliffhanger because there's this clash, this unseen spark with Guts reacting in surprise. Yeah, as something looks like it's spinning in the air, and you know, we don't know until the next volume. But it's, yeah, and it's, it looks the way it's done is it's very deceptive because it makes it look like it's something very small, you know, flying yeah. 
through yeah. the air. You can't even really tell what's going on. That could be some, you know, some representation of something, though. Right. And it's not really clear. And then he cuts to Casca, you know, putting, you know, Adam down, you know. <clears throat> it's almost like she's toying with him at this point, you know, like he's got cuts all over his face. He's, you know, and he grossly apologizes, you know, still being, you know, like it's almost comic relief the way he is. He's really just a buffoon at this point. Yeah, and where Casca is just, she doesn't know what to make of this guy. I mean, she's embarrassed yeah. for him. <laughs> we see the shot of Puck, you know, flying behind her while she makes a, a very Puck-like face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting that he chose there to go kind of super deformed and uh, Puck. I don't, yeah. It's the very first super deformed Puck, isn't it? Wow. Well, you know, there's some shots of him in the Black Souls Monarch, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, but this is that style. Yeah. Yeah. This one, you know, uh, but it's still the same style he used. You know, it's not, it's it, not it quite. It feels the, like it's kind of in between, you know, the, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah like big headed puck, right? It's, yeah. it's not yeah. quite, uh, yeah, the future one, but it's also, yeah, it's a bit evolved from the before. And yeah, that yeah, shot. It's a, little, it's a little chubbier than the old one, but it's not all the way into the. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and yeah, that, that shot reminds me of, you know, the crows from City Hunter, you know, where the characters embarrassed you, you see these birds, you know, flying behind them, and that's exactly the same kind of shot. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's inspired by that. She really should have just decapitated him right here. It would have saved her a lot of trouble. Because... No, you know what's really funny is, yeah, when he's giving this big, you know, sort of speech, you know, pathetically, you know, and falsely apologizing. Have you seen, have you noticed his men? Yeah. Like, yeah. their eyeballs, they look like, you know, they look like Hard Hat from Mega Man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was part of the armor at first, and I got close to it, and that's their actual eyes. It's just yeah. Yeah, those, kind of ridiculous. That's like, that might be the most cartoony thing in all of Berserk, those yeah. eyes inside that armor. <laughs> Boss, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah the, you know. the, the Dark Horse translation, one of the lines is, sir, that's incredibly uncool. <laughs> wow. Which, hey, maybe it is what he says. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't think it's exactly that, but, uh, yes, it's the general meaning of it. Yeah. But, of course, Adon has a little trick crossbow. He, he managed to get, uh, Casca, uh, ch- I guess changing the, the atmosphere of the fight once more. Once again. As is his, you know, his domain, one of his grossest victory faces as he shoots the arrow. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. We used to have that as an avatar on the very first forum. Yeah. That no one chose but me. Yeah, and he describes it as an ancient technique, you know. Right. It's a drug. I get it, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's kind of an abrupt ending to it. I, I kind of wish it had ended with the the guts thing, but I understand that now the fight has once again changed on Casca's side, so. On Casca's side and on Gus' side, even though we don't see exactly what's happening, you know, we exactly. know. You know. <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah, we end on a, on dual cliffhangers yeah. here. You know, more, you know, a lot of suspense. Casca's getting poisoned and we don't know what's happened to Guts. Yeah. yeah. When we started talking about volume seven, you know, we'd said that it covers a lot of ground. You know, every single volume is one of these that does, these, or these early ones are doing that. And eight's one of the, one of the pivotal moments of the series, you know, and we're coming up on it. Um, it has doldry. And all the stuff with the court and Griffith's, you know, rising and fall and all the guts leaving, all that stuff. There's so, so much to cover in eight. Yeah. And it's sort of why I wanted to do seven as soon as possible. And now that I'm thinking it might have been a stupid mistake because next podcast will be doing episode 334 and volume eight. Well, you know, we might just, you know, do one way to. Yeah. You know. yeah. yeah. 
I don't want to shortchange either of those. those are Let's two. just do volume eight next time. Yeah. <laughs> People can just read our posts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't know what 334 is going to be. Um, what it's, obviously, it's going to be probably Falconia, but I guess what I mean is. Oh, no, you just to. jinxed it, man. Well, if you jinxed it so that it's, you know, the Elf Island, then, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, again, I've said it before. I'd be fine with either, either one. It, it seems to be Falconia, though, given the text at the end of uh, the Giganto Machia bonus episode. I'd, I'd rather have scaling just because we actually have direct evidence that, you know, we've seen Falconia, at least from the outside. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know that eventually we're going to go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as long as waits, the sweetest uh, reveal. So. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Yeah, and we've already waited a full year for the next episode, so you know. I feel like wow. it's going to actually be disappointing unless Mira makes it some weird alien landscape because we're going to be like, it just looks like an island. Well, you know, it might actually be a weird, you know, landscape. You know, I wouldn't be too, you know, surprised with that. Yeah, I'm willing to be surprised, whatever it is. I guess that's the show, guys. Sorry it ran a little long this time, but um, we'll be back in two <clears throat> two weeks from now. Yeah, and I recorded that time. Okay, good. Well, yeah. good, because, you know, I'm going to have to go eat soon. Yep, I know, man. I think that's pretty much the show. We've already been recording for... Two and a half hours, even regardless. Wait, of we need to talk about Star Trek and Diablo three and uh, <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> and Tina's not home, so I can talk, guys. Hey, what, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, you know, I can always talk about Star Trek, no problem. I like this. I like this attitude. So, are you gonna are you gonna watch all of them? Or are you gonna do Next Generation and Deep Space Nine? That's that's going deep. Yeah, I think I, I will. Yeah, probably. Wow. You know, I, I plan to do at least Next Generation. And uh, and I'll see after Space that. Nine is pretty good. Well, yeah, stuff seem to be. You know, I, I actually I, I've already planned. You know, I don't even remember. I've I've got even you know the other series after that. I, I don't I don't know if they're good as Voyager. I think. Yeah, well, you know, if you if you were gonna miss, if you're gonna stop, <laughs> that'd be a good place, probably. Yeah, because there's Voyager. There's, there's Enterprise, right? Yeah, I never saw Enterprise. Voyager was the oh. end for me. Well, you know, yeah, maybe I'll go, you know, I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll do Next Generation. There's like, you know, something like eight yeah, seasons, I think. definitely do Next Generation. But yeah, that's and, uh, it's big. Yeah. It's nine, I think. If, if I ever finish that, you know, then I'll see, you know, because by the time I might, you know, I might be vomiting, you know, Star Trek by every orifice. I mean, so. you might, I mean, you might, because there's so many Next Generation and, you know, counting Deep Space Nine and all that in sort of that same, like, I mean, <clears> conti- a spinoff of that. Yeah, there's so many of those. You might have to like do research or something, you know, to find like the the, the best episodes to watch, you know. Well, yeah, that's not my style, you know. Like, I, uh, I'm gonna do it, you know, like by chronological order. I can't do it any other way. Yeah. So it's there, just- there are a lot of lame episodes in Next Generation. I mean, it kind of goes for any series. Is that long? Yeah. Uh, some of them are real stinkers, and some of them are just will knock you off your socks. You know, some of them are amazing. Takes, and it takes a while for it. To, I mean, that's where the saying I think you know, let the series grow a beard comes from yeah. in reference to you know, let it age a little bit. And also, I think Riker, you know, grows in his beard. You know, when he's when he's bearded, the show is good. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like midway through season two or something like that. And I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's evident right in the pilot. You can see the quality change. I mean, it's, the pilot's pretty shitty. And the costumes even suck. I mean, compared to where the series goes. So. And it's, 
it's weird because you can see what they're going for with Q and with you know sort of the the way the like the the dramatic uh, sensibility of the show, mm-hmm. but it's not quite ripe yet. Like, yeah. all right, well, don't spoil me, guys. I'll I'll, I'll find out. Okay, no, don't spoil the show that fucking concluded in 1995. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah I can't know, wait fuck. till we're you know in our fifties and uh, he's watching Breaking Bad. You know, <laughs> yeah, be very exciting. Yeah. You know, I've got, you know, I've got a plan. <clears throat> yeah. He actually did. All. Azil's now done with uh, True Detective. Well, he's ahead of me. I haven't even uh, started it yet. It's one of those things where because it's so short, I take it for granted that like, oh, I can watch that in a weekend. But it's like, it's long enough that it's like, oh, I don't want to start that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you like it overall, though? Uh, True Detective? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was fine. Yeah, it was all right. That's it. I'm crying over here. <laughs> well, you know, it was right. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it wasn't incredible. I mean, honestly, yeah, you know, it was, was fine. To being part of it when it was like the, you know, the thing du jour, you know, on TV yep. that you're probably removed from now. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, you know, it's nice. I, I like the I like the actors pretty much in the the acting. But uh, you know, the story itself didn't do much for me. It's not like it's not you know. It's just. You know, a story killer story, you know, they are not, you know, what says they've been done. And I don't feel like this one does anything, you know, you know, especially great. So the, yeah. the actors are pretty good and the acting's pretty good, but, uh, that's like, and there's, yeah, the photography, like, you know, it's well directed and the, the shots are beautiful, but, you know, that's, <clears throat> I don't know, you know, I don't know, that didn't, you know, especially warm me or anything like that. So yeah, it's a pretty cool series, but. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. Star Trek, uh, the original series, better. Yeah, yeah, I know, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh, Sorry. Sorry, Wally. Yeah. <laughs> the things you just described are like why I watch TV for the most part. I mean, obviously, if True Detective's main plot was better, I mean, it would be a better show for sure. But well, I mean, okay. I don't, I don't think that's why I, I kept watching. I mean, I, I wasn't like I didn't really care about plot advancement. In fact. The episode that focuses the most on plot advancement, I think, is one of the weakest in the show because it well, just doesn't give as much time to the characters. You know, the thing is, you know, to me, like, you know, story is what's most important to me in almost everything. So, in every medium. I wish Breaking Bad was still on. I wish they just kept it going until the show became terrible. I don't care. <laughs> like, oh, if they could have just kept going, like, you know, because it's like, how many quality years do you give up in the service of not waiting till it gets bad? Sort of one of those things where, you know. Hey, man, just remember the Sopranos, okay? I mean, that that's serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. But <laughs> yeah, get out well, get out while you can sort of a deal. But I don't know. Like my I, – I used to joke I wanted Walter to keep moving up. And, you know, every season the show got renewed. Either at the end he would get killed if it got canceled or if it got renewed he had to move up to like, oh, now he's the kingpin in town. Now he's, you know, he's taken over that whole region of America, and then eventually he's running for president while lying <laughs> to the while lying to the entire country that he's also secretly the meth kingpin of the entire northern hemisphere. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, guys, I gotta go. Okay, man. Thanks for sticking around so long. No See problem. Ya. See ya. See ya. Well, I'm gonna start editing. I finally have it all laid out. That's all probably right. take like thirty or forty minutes, given my stupid mess up. I don't yeah, know what happened. Did it just did it just click off or something? Or honestly, I think it might have just had like like a, a hard drive might have paused for a moment, and, and that then knocked the, it the, off. 
and the recording stopped because I, I, I mean, the way the recording thing is set, like I, it doesn't have any keystrokes. If I hit spacebar, it doesn't stop recording. Like I would have to go over there and hit stop record, which I, of course wow. I wouldn't do. So I have no yeah. idea what happened. That is weird. I'm glad I caught it as soon as I did. I mean, we lost like 11.5 minutes, something like that, but we could have lost yeah. 30. You know, I don't know. So. Sadly, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna end up playing Reaper of Souls <laughs> instead so of Shower. Huh? You you bought the expansion? Oh yeah, I pathetically went back on all my big talk, you know, and just <laughs> and immediately How's bought it? it. Did you start a new character? No, I continued oh. with my my guy. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I don't know. I've got mixed feelings. Like so far, you know, more on the good side than the bad side. It's more like little things. It, it feels kind of like they fixed it in the sense of, you know, the the model of, you know, going out and getting loot and getting gear so you can get better and stronger so you can go out and get more loot and more gear. Mm-hmm. They managed to sort of build that so that, you know, there's a reason to do that perpetually that makes sense and, you know, you can keep scaling it up so that, you know, you don't have to keep replaying the terrible plot or anything. Like, okay. uh, how much do you know about it? Very little. Uh, well, they, I mean, I guess the thing that I was totally unexcited about because I didn't really understand what it was, was adventure mode mm-hmm. is what it's called, which, un- yeah, which unlocks after you beat the game. And I, I didn't really know what the meaning of that was where it's like, you know, oh, now you can jump around to different parts of the game. And it's like, well, I already do that, you know, and I don't like it, but, uh, it basically turns it into just like a more open world where it's like, you can, it, well, I mean, it makes it more like Diablo two, you know, after they patched that where you can jump on the waypoint and now there's a world map where you can click on the different areas and go to any waypoint anywhere in the world at any time hmm. and go fight any of the bosses and there's bounties for them and there's different quests, you know, that regularly hmm. rotate and you get, you know, a bunch of money and experience and things for doing that. So you can do that forever. And it's and it's kind of fun to just keep going out and gearing up and leveling your guy without being in the service of, you know, any story. Right. Yeah, that makes just sense. Yeah, and we're, that way it's just then the mythology and the monsters and stuff sort of speak for themselves, which is probably better. Yeah, I mean, I, my memory, even of Diablo 3, I, I think I played through normal and then hard and then whatever the next one beyond that was. Or, oh, it's just so hell. Yeah, I played up to hell and I stopped. Name by that point, I was like, oh, <laughs> be out of here. And I mean, those, those times you're replaying, or even if you're starting a new character, you don't necessarily care what anyone's saying with the fucking plot. You're just skipping yeah. that. And, and it also, gets it's like there's a there's a question of why you know, and they they address this too, the sort of the idea that like why would I want to replay the game four times to play it on the hardest difficulty, where in this one they just let you scale up at any time essentially. Oh, okay. And that hmm. it kind of makes sense. It's you know it, it scales the monsters, it scales your character. So I mean you only have to replay it once to either be on the hardest difficulty by the end of the game. Okay, so it's not holding that back ransom anymore. Yeah, it's okay. like so. I mean, it makes sense because then I was able. I started yet another hardcore character, and he's up to level like forty six or something now. And uh, I'm in the fifth act with him, and you know, I was able to just, you know, yeah, I was able to raise the difficulty to level him, and you know, I don't have to play it four times. Does act that- does that act two boss now like give you like make you shit your pants because of that experience? Like, are you like extra extra cautious? Oh, uh, I mean, I'm not worried about Belial on the lower, because, I mean, you can still put it on the lower difficulty and it'll be, you know, easy. As a matter of fact, one of the bus pluses is, is I can play it on, like, hard, and then when I got to a boss, you can actually lower it, you can exit the game, lower it, and fight the boss, and it'll still let you continue. 
So okay. it's just like one big story mode. So, I mean, it gives you a lot more control and choice. And it was especially good for my hardcore, you know, rebuilding that. Mm. And also they let you, they let me keep the, I don't even know, I don't even think you were playing by the time they introduced the Paragon levels. Nope, those are, them. Yeah, those were levels they introduced, you know, after you basically reach max level that you can, and now you can get them forever. Before 100 was the limit, and now you can just keep leveling forever. And my two hardcore guys had both gotten Paragon levels. And obviously when they died, I thought those were gone. But when they patched the game, they made it because I hadn't deleted the characters. I just sent them to the Hall of Heroes or whatever. Uh, I got those Paragon levels on my new guy because they translate across characters. So that was like neat that I didn't just waste my time completely on that. It was still a time mm. sink, but at least I have something to show for it with uh, my new hardcore guy. Didn't your dad also get all those Paragon levels? He got to Paragon level 100 with his Barbarian, which is insane. And he got wow. one of his wizards up. He's got level 60 characters of every class. He maxed, <laughs> and I mean, he was pretty much, he's, I don't know how many hundreds of hours he's put into the game. I've got 500 hours in the game. Wow. And he was just playing it, you know, <laughs> at least twice as much as me. So. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. And he, well, he was gone from it. He, he did the same thing in PoE. He got, you know, he had a, a basically a guy that he got bored of playing because it was just, you know, too dominant on, you know, even the hardest difficulty settings. There was nowhere I'm, left for him to go. And I'm curious with, uh, about and with Dark Souls too. Yeah, yeah, Dark Souls. I mean, he's quite the gamer. <laughs> you can you can wrap Dark Souls in about. I mean, probably. I mean, it depends on your on your very first time. It is probably going to take you like. At twenty or twenty three or four hours or so, I would guess. But I mean, on a new game plus, you can you can beat that game in under four or five pretty easily. Just if you know if you know where to go and you're you're, you're properly leveled and all that stuff, you can just breeze yeah, if you're through. Powerful it. enough, yeah. Because I mean, so much of the game is not going from A to B, but going from A to B well and not dying over and over. Yeah, like, but and once I actually you know, asked him if. Uh... If he was gonna, if you know, he's gonna get Dark Souls too, and he like said he doesn't think so. But he always says that he wasn't gonna get this either, mm-hmm. and uh, because he just, you know, he was like that was too frantic, you know, an experience. It's <laughs> like yeah. I don't need that again in my life. I can totally understand that. I mean, it, it, when I first started playing, it, it was it was not so much fun as it was stressful. But like you get, to, yeah. I mean, I got to like a plateau where I was like, oh. That's part of what's fun about it. What's like compelling about it is like wanting to master that, to get beyond that point yeah. where you feel like you're fumbling to where you feel like you're like, you know, the boss at doing this. You know, that's part of what I, I love about Dark Souls. Like I play it now. I'm like new game seven or something like that. And I'm not playing it to get to the story or to get loot. I'm playing just to get better at the game, you know, and I can think of yeah. very few games where I've done that before. Where you actually, yeah, it's like basically you're practicing the skill of playing the yeah. game. Totally. And uh, is there any word yet on the graphics for the PC? I mean, like, you know what I know in the, in the yeah. threads. That's the extent of anybody's knowledge right now. Is they haven't, they've been tight-lipped on what the PC version is going to look like in terms of that. Because my worry is that they, they easily could, you know, make the PC version have, like, that beautiful lighting probably, but that there would be a backlash if they did. I don't and, know. It's hard to tell. I mean, I'm kind of torn on what my actual expectations are. Like, A, I'm going to buy the game regardless. I'm, I'm not even going to care yeah. because, honestly, this is not a game I play for graphics. It's more a matter of 
you know what it could have looked like is what's going to hurt, you know? Yeah. Because the game's not the game itself will not suffer for that engine. It doesn't really matter. It's more of you know what could have been, and that's going to suck. Anyway, like as far as what they've said in terms of evidence of what's going to happen and what's not going to happen, it's kind of a mixed bag. On the one end, they used to say that Dark Souls 2 was developed with the PC in mind from the beginning. The PC was the quote-unquote lead platform for the game. And so uh, the saying goes that as they progressed in development right before launch, they realized on consoles it wasn't performing. So they We made it too lot. much for the PC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's kind of historical information from the background. The PC version sucked so much for Dark Souls 1 that they said it's going to be number one for Dark Souls 2. So the question now is, if they stripped out the lighting engine for the console, was that a whole baby baby with the bathwater scenario, or was yeah. that just for the console editions? No one knows. I mean, I can see them making the argument for both cases. Like, there's only one version of the game, and we're not going to change that vision for platforms. I can see them making that argument. Yeah. In which case, the PC version would suffer. Or it's like, of course the PC version's fine. It's because we were developing for consoles that are eight years old that we had to strip it out. I mean, so who knows? Yeah. I mean, I I just wasn't aware of, like, what the release, you know, sort of plan was. Like, why – I mean, why couldn't they port, you know, the PC one in essence? Although, I mean, if they've already spent all this time developing for those other consoles. But, I mean, if they were going to release it on PS4 and -hmm. Xbox One, it could theoretically look, you know, that good. They've they've said nothing about – current or next gen slash current gen platforms when they were asked about it a couple months ago they said we've not even brought that up for discussion yet we're just tr- tr- focusing on finishing this game and then maybe later we'll discuss ports for that so i think they obvious they very obviously could and i think they probably will given how successful the franchise has been how much has grown i think it'd be a no-brainer for them to port it to ps4 and xbox one but it's really a matter of where the resources are, and especially and, and, since they actually could, you know, upscale the look of it, you know, in essence, that yeah. they have room to make it look better. I mean, I I, I know a guy, like not personally, but just through Twitter and things like that, that was he created fan fan made videos of Dark Souls lore, basically extrapolating for people that didn't pay attention. Um, and he, he he was so dedicated to it, and he did so many crazy things that he was hired by the company to help facilitate this like a uh, company made strategy guide. So the strategy guide itself has the lore built into it and you know, everything a strategy guide would have, but it's written by this guy that was a fan and just basically made a name for himself on YouTube. Anyway, he said on Twitter that the, the game he played, you know, builds and betas of the game before it came out, obviously, cause he was making this guide. And he said the lighting engine was in there even on consoles until the very end. And in the last like six months, they stripped it out because the frame rate had sucked throughout the entire development. And they were trying to scale back other elements of it. And finally, they just said, well, this sucks, but we're just going to pull it out. You know, they weren't they weren't happy about it, but they had to pull it out now. Okay, so I mean, well, then we don't know. So, yeah. So for PC, though, but I mean, to me, it comes down to like a political or a consistency decision where, you know, are you going to give the PC people, I mean, you could, you could make the argument either way. And I think yeah. we both just uh, did, you know, where you could either, it's like, no, we're, it's good. We're going to take it out or, you know, yeah, it's going to be on PC only. It's just so funny because this company is so damned if you do damned if you don't. Cause last time yeah. they got such crap for not focusing on PT and, and, and now it's like, like oh man, now the PC because that's the thing they're they're not going to want to hear oh the PC version got preferential treatment you know blah blah yeah. blah yeah 
Yeah, but even though I mean, it's sort of it would be like, oh, we owe you one, you know, PC. <laughs> so that's why yeah. you got a better one. Isn't that it's, ironic? It's, it's one of those things where none of the reviews that I've read have mentioned that the graphic graphical part of it. They just say it's on par with Dark Souls One. It just has better animation and combat animation. But yeah. No one says anything about the textures or anything. It's it's more a matter of once you see those gifts, you're like, oh my god, what, wait, what? <laughs> once you see yeah, those, like you, your perspective the problem changes. is we know what we're missing. Yeah. Yep. Not that there's anything wrong with it just as it's released right now, but yeah, suddenly, you know, it's being compared to some, uh, some ideal. But, yep. uh, well, not an ideal. It seems like it's quite possible. It's just a matter of if they're gonna let it be on the, the PC version. I mean, there's no reason not to sort of have it where, you know, be in the options where you can turn that on or off. You know what I mean? Like, they could actually have the default be like, it's off because it's so strenuous, but if you have a super PC, you can put yeah. it on super high res mode or some, you know, some bullshit like that, and you get that light. That would be that would be the hope. Uh, but I don't. We're, we're going to know in less than a month, probably in a. I would say two weeks. They're going to start releasing some info about the PC version. Yeah, I feel like that would be the best way because I would sneak it in there for people that care and would definitely find that, and then maybe hopefully people that might you know bitch for the sake of bitching that like oh you know we got a subpar product on console yeah. you know that would help you know cover that up a little, right? Mute that. Well, we'll we'll find out soon enough, and and, and yeah. again. Uh, Dark Souls One is it's pretty in its own way, but it's very limited graphically, and it's, it's never been why anybody plays those games. You know, it doesn't really matter that much. Well, I mean, it looked pretty glorious with uh with the DS fix, you know, and yeah. putting everything up to snuff. So, so yeah, certain things look great, like, like armor designs look fantastic at high resolution, but there are parts of that game that are just straight up ugly, like repeated textures. And like a big rock wall that you're faced <laughs> it's up like with. You can see the squares like on N64. Yeah, sort of exactly. Like, yeah. Say they had like one tiny pattern, they extrapolated that across 10 miles. It's like, yep, I can see yeah. the pattern, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, it's a small, you know, but, a small company. Yeah, I mean, but graphics are obviously more than that stuff. I mean, it's the artistic sort of look, and I think it really excelled yeah. at that. Yep. So Definitely. even though, so whatever limitations they had, what they were doing with it was quite beautiful. Yep. It's funny, actually, Azila told me or asked me if I was excited for Dark Souls 2, and I'm like, I'm, I said, I'm surprisingly not nearly as excited as I thought I would be, given how much I love Dark Souls, and I think it's because I know it's not going to live up to my expectations, because it's how not, could it? It's not going to be the same. I mean, you can't yeah. do the same. You can't feel that strongly about it twice. Sort it's of not just that. It's, it's the first-time experience thing. Like, Dark yeah. Souls 1 was like totally first-time. If I had played Demon's Souls, I would feel the same about that, you know? But, so, I, I don't expect it to... I don't expect Dark Souls 2 to wow me in the same way. And so that's why I'm kind of lowering my... I mean, uh, that's probably why you're not as... You know, you're not, like, obsessed with getting... Oh, I gotta get a PS3 to play Demon's Souls yeah. 2 and all that. Because, I mean, it was that place and that time and that game. Yep. So, it can't. you can't really recreate it. Well, I'm going to get started on editing because I only have another little bit before my wife comes home. So, All right. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, except I'm going to clean up and then uh, play Diablo 3 so I don't get yelled at. The clean up part. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for recording as, as usual, and we'll see yeah. you back in a couple weeks. All right.